Yes, I did. Alan. I did. I did. I did. Welcome, everybody, to episode so long. I don't know what five oh nine. Yes. So. Uh, congratulations to you, Owen. Uh, so I can't get uh, this thing off. It hurts and it burns if I try to touch it. Is that normal? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Great. Go along with it. Uh, tonight we have a, a a special. Wow, we already have like what do we? Have? Oh my gosh, we have more people now than we usually ever do. Ever. Anyways, yes. obviously because we're not here for us. talk about the more <laughs> complete carpet python book. Um, we have so many things because Owen got married in October. Now we have Owen's anniversary. We have the anniversary of NPR. He wanted to make sure that they were coincided with each other in case he forgot. You're not, not the same what's day. Crazy, like, <laughs> <laughs> what's crazy is, is that in 2011, when the first Carpet Python book came out, right. was like right around the time that we started NPR. I mean, literally like the same month. I think we started at the end of September. The book came out at Tinley Park. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was a good time for carpet pythons, uh, and <clears throat> you know um, here we are eleven years later, and now we have the more complete carpet. Well, well we both, some of us have yeah. the more complete carpet; others are still waiting for their. Oh carpet. well, you but know I we mean, won't yeah. get into such things. <laughs> yeah. You know that's. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, not, you that's got, neither here nor there. I mean, you know, yeah. we're not there. <laughs> you got to know people in high places. I don't know what to tell you, Owen. <laughs> Stop messing around with colubrids or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. Owen. I don't hey, know. listen, out of which one of us here has lizards? Okay. So, mm. yeah, but they're Australian lizards. So, I mean, Shit. you know, so All right. we're not going to talk this whole thing. We're just going to introduce. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear from us. Yeah. They, we have nothing. We have nothing. No. And nope. we're going to talk about the new book. But before we do, right, I want to show people just. Just like the amount of work that these guys did for this book. See, this is the it's original the book, yep. right? That's the first uh-huh. one. And this uh-huh. new one is like oh, wait, <laughs> Dear God. double the size of the book. So I don't think, I mean, like Nick and Justin do, I mean, they don't cut corners on anything. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be the carpet Bible for a long time. The reason and, There's a reason that there's several years in between books and they didn't just come out with a new copy next, like the following year is because yes. there was more crap. I guess it took 11 still, years to write. Yes. <laughs> but I love that you've removed the dust cover because you're clearly still memorizing it and you don't want to injure it. So you're like, yes, this, I don't want to injure it. Okay. Well, I have my copy that I'll keep on the shelf. And then this oh, right. the copy that the I use. Use copy that can get torn, to, yeah. thrown around a little bit. I get it. So enough of us rattling. Let's get uh, here. We go. We got Justin, and then we got Nick. That's Welcome, a, guys. Yes, Welcome Nick. back. <laughs> Eleven years later. Yeah. <laughs> here we are. So much has changed, uh, and then stayed the same. And yeah. stayed the same. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. think. I think one of the coolest changes in the last uh, decade or so is that you know I've become personal friends with you guys. We've gone herping. We've hung out. Yeah. You know, it's yep. Yep. it's really a cool thing. You know, the you guys are just. I mean, week in and week out, this podcast—it's amazing. <laughs> you guys, I can't done. escape it. I can't uh, get away. The juggernaut, <laughs> the juggernaut. <laughs> Good job. Lawyers have told me yeah. I have no choice. So yeah. yeah, this is true. This is true. I made him sign contracts. I'm not dumb. Um, I guess. Like, when did you guys decide that you wanted to write a second book? <laughs> yeah. Um, the day after it came out, <laughs> there couldn't be an easy thing to think uh, there's about. Like, there's a moment where I talked to Bob, and he said, "Oh, we're getting kind of low. It might be time to think about doing another edition." 
<laughs> and all these <laughs> four years later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anytime you, you like uh, a paper would come out with new mm. information or, you know, new data and you're like, ah, that needs to go in the book. We need, we need that in there. Or, you know, you have a thought about, you know, the, the group as a whole, or maybe some hypotheses or ideas of how, you know, they group together and stuff. And you're like, that needs to go in the book. And so, you know, all these different pieces and, and coming out and like, oh, we didn't talk about herping. That probably should go in the book. And where do you stick Owen Pellies? They're, they're kind of, you know, the new, new data shows they kind of fall in line with carpet, the carpet clade. So, you know, let's put them in the book. Yeah. So we just kind of kept adding and adding and, and, you know, lots of discussion and of course, lots of writing and back and forth and, and the, I think the the most difficult process and, you know, the, the process that we kind of tip our hats to all the contributors is all the pictures and all the, uh, you know, personal observations and things like that that uh, were contributed by, you know, Eric and and Rob and, you know, a bunch of Australian friends. And, you know, it's uh, it's it's kind of a team effort in that way where, you know, we could we could do a good book, but, you know, to have all the pictures of wild carpets in their habitat, you know, locality known. Um, just, I, I really think it, it, you know, is the icing on the cake for sure. And really makes the book just kind of uh, go the distance. So I, I, I think there's going to be something there for just about anybody, you know, we, we, we have all Nick Nick went to Herculean efforts to organize all the, the morphs. There've been quite a few more morphs since the first edition. So oh, that, that was, I'm like, here you go, Nick. You, you take all that. You, like, we know how much you love yeah, the morph project. I, yeah. Yeah. The you're, morph you're the chapter, morph man. I, I don't have any morphs anymore except like I think the morph, morph chapter unto itself is 160 some odd pages. Just that. Yeah. Like that could be its own book at that point. Yeah, it's, you know, and and it was kind of like, you know, we we had pictures and descriptions of all the morphs and things in the first edition, but we wanted to go more into it. Like, how do you prove out a morph or what makes a morph a morph and, you know, things like that? What are the different kinds of morphs? And so we went into far more detail in this edition, kind of talking about that. So, yeah, it was a fun process. Very cool. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think you'll go ahead, Nick. I think in the morph section, the original book, the first edition has that whole chapter has three pages of text total yeah. distributed about the whole thing. And the new one, I think, is 15 or 16 pages of text. Jesus. And, it, yeah. and there's no text for the actual morphs. It's just here's a picture of this combination. It's like it's all more substantive stuff at the beginning. Yeah. We have a little bit on the ba base morphs, but then it's like, well, the combos are just combos of these base, base morphs. So, yeah. You know. so many. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there I mean, a, I go ahead, Nick. I say for a hot minute, there was a picture of every single morph combo that existed on the Earth in that book. <laughs> Since then, the minute you stop adding pictures, like someone will hatch something, no doubt. But <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple obscure combos that have hatched since then, but it's it's extremely <laughs> comprehensive. They didn't make it to print, so it's fine. Forget about it. <laughs> you get people like, yeah. you know, I, last week I had somebody, is it too late to send pictures? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's on the way from China. Right now, like, and, and we like I, I hadn't seen all the the morph stuff until um, we got the like the blue line the you know the PDF from uh, 
Russ um, uh, Gurley laid it out. And I mean, he he went to a lot of effort and we're kind of fussy. We kind of wanted that, you know, control over what went where and what pitcher was on the front. And if, if pitchers were missing, we're like, hey, we need those in here, you know, that kind of thing. So Russ dealt with a lot of back and forth from us. And and uh, again, just, you know, he's he's one of the key uh, contributors in that regard to to the layout and making the book, you know, uh, look nice and and uh, read well and things like that. So you know, a uh, lot of props to to Russ Gurley and he's just a fantastic guy anyway. What a, I mean, he's he's uh, been around for a long time in the herp game. You know, he knows oh, yeah. his stuff and has just probably bred more things. He can, he's probably forgotten the things he's bred more than I've bred you know species. So, and well, another nice thing about Bob and. Russ as well is that they really did give us free reign to do whatever we wanted to do. Yeah. Like there was no no suggestions, no nothing. It was like so we got to just write whatever we wanted. No one changed a word of it. It was <laughs> it was like you know sometimes you have people editing and stuff and they're wanting to make changes for this reason or that, and they really didn't do that at, at all. <laughs> that's, awesome. that's awesome. Complete control of the. Yeah. So if you don't like it, it's our fault. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. 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 For it, sure. It is hundred percent what we wanted to put out. Down, yeah. Down to the cover. That was like I I put the cover together. Uh, and I said this is this is how it's going to look. This is the picture that's going on the cover. <laughs> and the, I the, mean yeah. the backside of the cover. <laughs> I'm like, we, we, yeah. we discussed it and Justin did a mock up. Just make this image in your own program. <laughs> like here's the, here's the pieces. And then to reconstruct this exact thing, and it is that's exactly exactly it. But that picture that Matt Somerville took that's on the cover, oh my goodness, I just that's like one of my favorite pictures uh, yeah. ever. Like that just is the epitome of just a beautiful carpet python, and really got yeah. me into that 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 uh, kind of uh, type or locality or whatever you want to call it. Potentially subspecies. Yeah. I don't know. I well, think I, mean, I think that picture was like floating around or something, yeah. and I didn't know that you guys were putting it on the cover. And I think I shared it or something, and Nick messaged me like, "What the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Who gave you this? I don't like, know." <laughs> it's like it's, I I don't care. Like how however many times you see it, you look at that and you want to look yeah. at it and stare at <laughs> it again. Still, like yeah. it's that good, you know that. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted that picture on the cover because to. A lot of people, when they see that, their first question is, what is that? What kind right. of carpet yes. is that? It's so, it doesn't fit neatly in any sort of preconceived notion of what these different regional forms look like. It's, it's unique. Yeah. yeah. So with that being said, I mean, so have you answered the question? Have you guys answered the question of what is this carpet? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like you tell us what this thing is now. That is a, that is a long and complicated answer. But, Excellent. Uh, yeah. Go on. Homework has been done. Yeah. yeah there, I mean, there were some pretty good papers published in, in the interim between the first and second edition and, and some, I mean, the most, uh, I guess detailed of those studies was was a paper by C. Evaglia and, and colleagues that uh, sampled quite a few carpet pythons, and this was continued work from uh, is it Taylor Duncan Taylor. Um, so we quoted him in the first edition, and then they continued his work and did more genetic analysis and things like that. And so they've shown differences now. 
we're not, you know, taxonomists. So we're, you know, this is kind of our, our best guess, but you know, we read a lot and, and try to understand these things as best we can. So hopefully we've come up with a, a reasonable scheme and, and it goes along with, you know, s- some proposed uh, splits and things. Oh my gosh. Can you hear my dog yapping? Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> no worries. But, uh, the, uh, I'm keep talking. Go. Uh, sure is dealing. <laughs> but uh, so, so, you know, using those, uh, published papers and, uh, our common sense, I guess, you know, we kind of see uh, phenotypic and, uh, genetic differences between the different groups. And, and so, you know, we laid out what we thought fit best, you know, with the data. And uh, I'm sure some people disagree, but guess what? That's what taxonomy is good for is to, to start beef and to starting, you know, Hey, I, that's you, you guys are idiots. What what's are you the doing? Quickest way to start a fight in the reptile community. Taxonomy. Exactly. I, will, right I mean, yeah. I will say that I do think that our reasoning is sound and I don't know anybody that's ever put this much time into trying to figure this out because we did lines of inquiry that no academics really looked into. Um, Justin in particular in the the evolutionary history chapter is about 20 additional pages this time. So it's it's way more hardcore than it even was the first time. Uh, There is another section in there that uh, Justin had a hypothesis because animals in dry regions in particular, uh, river systems are like basically dispersal mechanisms because that's the Mm -hmm. easiest place to make a living. And that's definitely true of inland carpets. And uh, so overlaying these river drainages with where you find populations and genetic disjunctions and everything, and you see a really uh, tight correlation between that and the genetic data. And with those uh, Flinders, Gammon, those westernmost really arid adapted inland carpets, what you find is that there's actually two river drainage basins in the dry part of Australia. You've got the Murray-Darling Basin, where, which everybody knows, uh, all those rivers occasionally have water in them, even you know sporadically for a minute, mm-hmm. and they all drain into the ocean south of Adelaide. But there's an entire other river drain system that's just north of that one that's the Lake Air Drainage Basin, and it doesn't even drain into the ocean. It drains into Lake Air, and those rivers are really dry, and Lake Air only has water in it maybe once in a decade. And those strange inland carpets are largely pretty much confined to that other drainage basin, uh, and that seems to be the distinction. And if you look at a map, even though they still have rip water flowing in them very often, those drainage basins don't overlap. They don't intersect. So they're just any river snakes that got up in this one or that one are isolated because the habitat between is presumably too arid. And that mm-hmm. seems to be, but no one else had ever seemed to stumbled onto that. And that's, you know, the, the, I guess that's kind of the exciting part because for the most part, we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. We're, you know, looking at other people's research and things. So, you know, when I kind of thought, hey, I wonder, you know, if, <laughs> if the drainage basins of Australia have anything to do with, you know, and then you line it, like Nick said, lining them up and almost seeing something that's almost too good to be true. You're like, okay, yeah, maybe there's something to that, you know, and and so that's kind of another um, piece of the puzzle that we use. So not just the phenotype and the genotype, but also the biogeography of where they're found and, you know, how they got there and things like that. So, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, I was, I was very excited to kind of, con- you know, to have the, the contribution that was maybe something novel. I, I'm, uh, brought it by, uh, or 
told Rick Shine about it and got his input, and he said, eh, "That sounds reasonable." You know, <laughs> I'm like, "All right." Wow. <laughs> if, I, I, if, if Rick I've Shine loved, gives it, I've you know, loved this the theory since, since you slipped it to us in Texas, and we weren't yeah. allowed to talk about it. Like it was just like so. I had to wait for like moments when Eric and I. I'm like, "There's no recording devices around." Anyway, <laughs> yes, <laughs> like I love, I love how yeah. that works. Um, it's fun, and and we've got lots of uh, figures in the book that kind of. Uh, illustrate that so hopefully that's helpful and and you know there the other kind of interesting thing that was the those uh flinders gammons those those uh, carpets kind of in that interior area um were were on you know genetically lined up closer with uh, jungle carpets than they did with inland carpets you know there was kind of the, the jungles fell in between there um the northern kind of northern coastal jungle uh clay there and uh we're like how is that you know how does that make sense but some of these uh kind of more inland i don't mm. between <laughs> inland and centralian what do you call that you know double inland i don't know super <laughs> inland super inland yeah yeah <laughs> there you go there's their common name thanks That's what think you so. Mean, yeah <laughs> so these super inland um they they range up pretty far north and those uh northerly ones were pretty closely related with the ones down in the flinders and gammons and so um you know that's pretty close there's actually a river that kind of goes up into where you find the northern coastals, the jungles, and the northern uh, coastal carpets. So, kind of uh, another you know potential piece or, or uh, uh, the rivers don't don't intersect at the present time. But if you kind of rewind a little bit to you know forty five to sixty thousand years ago, the climate of Australia was considerably wetter, mm-hmm. uh, and prior to humans kind of showing up and altering the whole ecology of the continent. And you could easily see a scenario where you'd have intergression of those northern coastals into that interior lake air basin. There's a couple of these rivers that get really close together. And all it would take is a strong monsoon in a wet, a slightly wetter time period where you could have, you can see the, the probable point of contact for those mm-hmm. genes who have migrated into that population. And it sounds like this year, was somebody saying this is, uh, yeah, well, at least in Victoria, there's floods everywhere and, you know, everybody's pretty Mm -hmm. flooded. So, yeah, Trent uh, Edwards. um, So, yeah, that's... uh, that happens, you know, and, and things get moved around and, and nothing's, you know, clean cut, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is all a dynamic process. And that's the fun of trying to slap a label on something that's moving, you know, like yeah. <laughs> pin the tail on the donkey that's alive and running away from you while you're trying to pin the tail on it. That sounds like a challenge, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, this is happening over millions of years. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of a freeze frame in time. And so who knows what will be in, in the next, you know, million or 10 million or whatever time scale we're on here with this stuff. But yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, how far genetically do you need to be? And do we believe in subspecies that kind of seems to fade in and out of popularity as well. So what do you call them? I don't know. And I, frankly, <laughs> right. I don't care. I just like to identify those things that make them different in some way, you know, mm-hmm. like, right. so, you know, we, I don't know what the implications are. I mean, you might say, well, I want to keep it pure in, in captivity or I want to, you know, am I going to mix it with, with the, the normal inland types? I'm going to keep things locality, pure. whatever you want to do with that information is up to you right. because, you know, morphs kind of come in and, and everybody kind of 
throws everything out the window anyway and says, let's breed our Centralian to our Southwestern to our, you know, Ruffy and get some. When can I breed it to a Jaguar? Okay. Yeah, exactly. He's like, that's all I no. want to know is what do the Jags look like? You know, Out of all the you know, <laughs> what's funny is that I remember when I was getting heavy into the morphs and Nick said to me, He's like, one day you'll turn around. And I was like, never, you'll never do it to me. And yes, here I am, like yeah. more into just normal carpet pythons than I am into morphs. But yeah. um, and yeah. I, f- I found that interesting. Like that was kind of a, um, you know, nothing against my buddies in Australia, but sometimes like I'd go on trips and I'd find stuff and they're like, oh, I've never seen that. I'm like, but you keep and breed it and it's in your own country. Why don't you go check it out in the <laughs> wild? Come on. Like, I had to fly across the world to go find this thing. You just have to take a four hour plane ride and you're there, you know, like, come on. <laughs> I, th- I think we have banged this drum. You guys both have banged this drum for years about like our perception here, especially in the U.S. of like what what a wild carpet python looks like. We've been so, uh, you know, this yellow and gold that's just neon and, you know, beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. stuff, but like nothing like what you're going to find. Well, maybe something not neon, but you'll find yellow, whatever. Oh, yeah. I think you guys did an, an amazing job at capturing that within the natural history chapters, like you, you sort of alluded to it earlier about how, you know, just the, just the, just the variety. I mean, there's one picture that Scott Iper had in there. I think it was a coastal and it's just wild looking yeah. like, I mean, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I was really impressed with just, I mean, that must've been very difficult to track need, down all these pictures. Who need who needs morphs when you have the variability of the carpet complex? I mean, it's crazy. And you know, morphs are fun and stuff, and they're easy. You know, you breed something with the gene, and you get more with that gene. But um, I think some of these selectively bred projects, or just you know, focusing in on certain looks of wild carpets. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that one. Who needs a hypo when you got that? I mean, that is Eric. Let me hold yeah. the book for a little bit, and I quickly had to memorize all the pictures and words so that I could. So. But the the main one of the main goals and differences from the first edition is that we wanted to have all um, wild individuals um, in the natural history section. So it's just wild animals, um, no captives. With maybe a rare exception, if we, you know, were desperate for pictures or something, yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy looking? I, I, I like that idea. Uh, what's the know. what's the locality on that one, Eric? Uh, uh, Paluma, Paluma, yeah, that pretty it, crazy. It almost looks scrub python esque, you know, but. Yeah, yeah, so amazing. much variability. And I, I was kind of geeked out by some of the island stuff, you know, the stuff you find on some of those little islands off the shore of Queensland or whatever. And they have populations of carpets and they're like really red or, you know, crazy looking. So, yeah, there's some these. And the the Torres Islands, the Straits uh, between New Guinea and Australia, kind of those little tiny islands. We yeah. got some, Nick located some pictures from, from up there. You know, all these was, didn't you, you, you located it. Wasn't that Melissa Bruton? That supplied uh, yeah. yeah. Like, so I was talking to you about some pictures from another study site on the peninsula. And then they had a friend. I asked about, has anybody ever done any work up in the Torres Strait? And sure enough, was able to get a few pictures from some of the Torres Strait islands. Yeah. Nice. So, I, nice. I was expecting the next herb trip. It's like, all right, guys, get on the boat. What? Yeah. Like, yo, we're <laughs> going to go check these island species. Right? So, like, 
Yeah. <laughs> so are these the islands that are sort of like right above Darwin, like in that area? No, no, no. Above, oh, these are uh, over the tip of Cape, Cape York. York. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And gotcha. the Torres Strait. Um, just, I don't know. There's just such a diversity. And that was the other thing. Like after we wrote the first edition, I went over to Australia for the first time and saw, you know, a couple carpets in the wild and kind of got, looking and people started posting more herp trips and you know those kind of the the uh flicker or whatever you know photo hosting sites got more and more and more wild uh carpet pictures i'm just thinking man there there is a huge diversity you know in in captivity we have in our mind this is what a jungle looks like this is what a coastal looks like this is what you know a centralian or an inland look like and and there's no deviation from that but you know, naturally there's, there's quite a bit of deviation, you know, in, in some regard, especially with the Cheney eye, uh, uh, McDowell eye stuff, but pretty, yeah, pretty maybe cool. you can guys talk a little bit. Let's start with this, like for each of you guys, what was, what was the biggest surprise? The thing you were like, what? The biggest hit <laughs> punch that you expect people to probably freak out about in the book. Oh, expect people to freak out about Either one. <laughs> uh, gonna, no, I. He got one of the couple advanced copies. We uh, got sent, but uh, <laughs> the changing of the designation and definition of what constitutes Cheney, yeah. uh, from being a small regional jungle carpet to a much broader, uh, you know, wide-ranging taxon, and people are gonna. They're so locked into the mindset that Cheney are jungle carpets and that everything else is a coastal carpet. The idea that there's two different types of coastal carpets and jungle carpets are just a subset of northern coastal carpet with no genetic distinction at all. And you have to, anytime you meddle with taxonomy at all, even a little bit, the number one rule is the rule of priority. Mm-hmm. You can't just name things. If somebody else at any point in history ever put a name on a population, you have to use the oldest name on the books. And when we reluctantly had to accept that these are two different, there are two different coastal carpets, formerly, you had to use the oldest name on the books. And Cheney, the type locality for Cheney is within that population. So you kind of had to default to Cheney. Mm-hmm. So Cheney now is the biggest range of carpets. <laughs> this is a huge range. <laughs> Well, aside from Variegata. <laughs> well, yeah. That, that was that was the other thing that we do <laughs> that they, may yeah, <laughs> may may step on some toes or whatever. But that that's kinda and, and Nick and I went back and forth a bit on that. And that's kind of what we came to, you know, the I I would you know, I, I think it could go another way and that would be fine too. But you know, that's kind of what we landed on and just said these are pretty closely related. They all, you know, there's some pretty uh, close phenotype uh, mm-hmm. between you know the different populations in New Guinea, Darwin, and uh, the Cape York Peninsula, and so you know that's that's and the data kind of backs that up that those things are pretty closely related, and so we just said now nah, they're all let's let's just throw them all under variegata. So that's uh, that's another the variegata complex is another example where the biogeographical kind of historical data overlays perfectly with the molecular data mm-hmm. where you see like mm-hmm. all that land to the north of Australia and south of New Guinea was all dry land. And we know from sediment cores from, you know, mineral exploration that they, the habitat that on that submerged area of land was all eucalypt savanna. So carpet habitat. Right. Then right in the middle of that, you have a giant lake. 
So it would have been that submerged area is what would have been full of carpet python. So it's no surprise that that relationship, but because, uh, and in the terminal Pleistocene at the end of any glacial period, as sea levels rise, as glaciers recede and sea levels rise, and that area starts to submerge, it submerges, the, the marine inundation happens from west to east. And mm -hmm. once it gets to the Carpentaria Basin and floods uh, the Carpentaria Basin, it effectively severs the genetic, the gene flow between what we would consider a Darwin carpet and the populations in New Guinea. Uh, that happens much earlier and than the separation between Southern New Guinea and Cape York. They maintain a rather robust land connection for 6,000 years longer. Five to 6,000 years ago, you could walk from New Guinea to Australia without getting your feet wet. It was, it was still a dry land corridor, right. presumably gene flow. So the, the genetic data shows exactly that. The Southern New Guinea and Cape York are essentially genetically identical. Darwin carpets are close. They're different genetically, but not that much. It perfectly lines up with the fact that they diverged earlier by that marine inundation event, while the other two maintain connectivity until very recent times. So Cape York's and New Guinea's are genetically the same. Yeah. Basically, there's almost no difference between a gelatin jungle and a New Guinea carpet. They are effectively <laughs> genetically the same thing. And this is not, I mean, surprising. We see that in a lot of different species, you know, the water pythons, the, you know, there's frill a lot dragons. of different uh, frill dragons. And yeah, uh, there's a, there's a lot of different things that share the, the, the uh, green tree pythons that, you know, share that Southern New Guinea and Northern Cape York. Um, you know, so that it's not a, not a big shocker. Let's mm. just put it that way. And then, you know, that, like Nick said, that sever between, between Darwin and, and the, the other two uh, populations was earlier. So they have diverged a little further, but you know, is it enough to say there's something different and where they look very similar and, and, you know, I, you know, I get, that's kind of where we said it could go either way, but this is the way we're going with it so they're the closest to any other carpet thing you gotcha yeah the yeah pythons, the, the green pythons are a very close analog with the aru population mm. uh, maruki and the cape york animals with cape york and maruki being almost genetically indistinguishable and phenotypically very similar aru is pretty similar but not exactly the same and genetically close but you can tell they diverged earlier because Aru is at the very edge of the Sahal Shelf. When sea levels start to rise and in the beginning of an interglacial, Aru has the least, the shortest period of connectivity with Sahul, in that they're the first place to go under, to become an island, to become isolated, and they're the last place. So the, the period of time is very brief, but they're actually part of that contiguous landmass since they're right at the western edge of it. So you see the exact same pattern. The water pythons show exactly the same pattern. Yeah. Fog dam animals are genetically different, and Cape York and New Guinea are genetically indistinguishable. The frilled lizards, same exact pattern. Anytime you have that three-way distribution of top end Cape York and New Guinea you, in the same clade, you always see the same uh, this same pattern. And 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 also in addition to that, I mean, uh, so that uh, that saddle between the Kimberley and the Darwin Peninsula there. Mm -hmm. um, you you get a break there as well. There's another biogeographical barrier that occurs there, and you also see um, the the same you know distinctions or whatever. There's there's kind of a, that that genetic break, whatever it 
constitutes uh, between the frilds in the Kimberly and the frilds in you know Darwin area, and then the frilds in the in the Cape York Peninsula. Now, the the people who did that work didn't give them separate subspecies or species names, so they're they're not identifying huge breaks in, in that regard. But there are some you know biogeographical barriers, and there are some genetic differences between those three populations. So you know that's I guess that's always been the challenge of this is you know how how far do they have to diverge to constitute, you know, uh, different designations and there's no rhyme or reason or rule for that. So it's just based on what the, the uh, different researcher feels. So, I mean, obviously, you know, with the, the Anteresia work, he, they said, Oh, let's just sink them all into children. I, you know, all Stimson. I, and <laughs> that'll work. I, that'll fix like, it. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I don't agree with that one. And I don't think, you know, a lot of people do, but, and, and I see a lot of people adopting it and calling, you know, their Western Stimson's pythons children. <laughs> I, but like, I'm not doing that. You know, mm. the crazy so. thing is the same paper clearly shows that Western Stimson's are different. Yeah. They're clearly different in uh-huh. this data, but nope. Yeah. And then <laughs> they, they make the case that, oh, they, they, there is some intergression between these populations, but I don't think that, you know, negates a, a species barrier. You can have some interbreeding between species and that's called an, an, an a hybrid. Integrate you know? zone, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, that's, that happens all the time in lots of different species. So I don't know yeah, why like, this. Like our own like, species. Like yeah. the irony that <laughs> a scientist is yeah. like poo-pooing things because of intergression when the scientist himself is a, an amalgam of at least three different <laughs> archaic hominids that we interbred with in our own self, our own selves. It's like we are a compo- a mosaic of, you know, a little pinch of Denisovan DNA, a little pinch of Neanderthal, a little pinch of super archaic West African hominids, ghost lineage they detected. We're like that too. Yeah. So, Nick, I think you got more than a pinch of Neanderthal. I think you might have a scoop. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna have my DNA run again because I really want to know, and I'm hoping it's a big number. I kind of want like <laughs> you want to start game. carrying a club, don't more you? More that proudly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like, I want to like. I think that's so cool. <laughs> it's my heritage. <laughs> Ow, you're hurting my hair. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so. Where are we at with uh, diamond pythons and coastal cart? Well, I, well, I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm confused by this this thing. So, uh-huh. okay, where's your confusion lie here? Well, I want a gammon. I want a gammon range carpet. So that's uh-huh. one thing there. <laughs> um, okay. okay. But was there? There's aside from the changes that you just kind of talked about. Eric, have you white like have you white out the? The um scientific names on this picture? <laughs> no, I think this was pre. Uh, uh, why we censored version? Got it. No, Justin was putting this together. Oh, yeah, this is an earlier, uh, earlier version of the posters that I sent to Eric to get his feedback. So I think see what he thought. You know that kind of thing. Gotcha. So there's no hiding for things, and there's no special reveals that are going to come from no the poster. No. Got yeah. it. Uh, you you have one behind you with there, yeah. the finish <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I don't what do you want from me? <laughs> oh, you have you one. one. I know it's over there. We just said it. <laughs> the, an interesting thing with the coastal carpet, you know, 
the, the true McDowell-I Southern Coastals is that genetically they're more distinct than we had previously believed. And so much so that you could make a reasonable argument that they should just be Moralian McDowell-I and not even be a subspecies. Wow. To put that in like really easy to understand terms, no one questions that a diamond python is a species. No one questions that a brettles python is a species. The, the amount of genetic distinction between a brettles python and a diamond python is the same as a brettles python and a McDowell-I and a McDowell-I. All three of those are equidistant at a genetic level. The two mm -hmm. of them are species, but one's supposed to be a subspecies. If we apply this the standard fairly, it would be Moralia McDowell-I. Yeah. So. And, and I guess I want to kind of speak to the lines, you know, where you draw the borders and boundaries and stuff. And that's kind of the, the challenge with all this is because we, you know, we, we have records and, and they sampled in some of these populations. So some of this is a little bit like, uh, you know, arbitrary, like, okay, this is where kind of the border is somewhere around here. Um, as best we can guess, but it's always hard to draw a firm line and say, this is where this ends and this starts, you know, that's, that's a tricky thing. So that's an artifact of something like a poster like this, you know, it simplifies it a little bit, but. Yeah. Nick, I think you're echoing. Um, echoing? Yeah. Well, we're echoing. Yeah. I don't know. It all sounds fine to me. Sure, because sure. you're not echoing. <laughs> <laughs> you might you might need to plug in some headphones, is what we're saying. If you I can plug in headphones, my computer broke. Ah, my headphones jack so on my just... computer broke, and it took me a lot of time to figure out that that was what the problem was. But Jack himself is nice. Ah, if you can mute, 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 just while mute we're when you're yeah, mute yeah, and then talk. <laughs> how do I, Sorry. How would I even do that? There's I'm a little there's the... challenge. Hang on. What? <laughs> I mean, okay, Boomer. There's uh, a button down at the bottom. There you go. See it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. You yeah. got it. Echo. And you just uh, hit the unmute button when you want to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's all. We'll get around like, technology. Wave your hands and we'll unmute you. Like, that works too. <laughs> Put your hand up if you want to say something. <laughs> uh, so what? I I I got. We were talking about. I think Nick was talking about. Coastals and diamond pythons. Yeah. I, I, so that genetic difference between a diamond. So diamonds and and, and bretoli, they kind of bretoli um, line up kind of genetically um, closer to each other. And then the distinction between a diamond python and a centralian python is as great as between a coastal, the McDowell proper kind of those uh brisbane area coastals and and a diamond or a centralian so basically saying why is a diamond python a species and a centralian python is a species but a mcdowell is a subspecies you know why why is that the case so and you know you could probably you know, arrange these different ways you know we could we could have said hey it's morelia spilota morelia mcdowell Morelia chaniae. And that's incidentally how they were originally described by Wells and Wellington back in mm -hmm. the early 80s, you know. So it's like, you know, but they were New Zealanders. So they said, oh, we're not going to listen to that. You know, you're a bunch of uh, Kiwis who we don't, we don't let you dictate what our Australian snakes are. I don't know. They weren't very popular in the day. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact no carpet subspecies has ever been described as such. They've all been demoted. 
every one of these was described initially as a full species and then someone subsequently decided to either just demote them to subspecies status sometimes the first guy had it right yeah that's so weird that you can like just kind of go back around <laughs> like you do all this stuff and you end up right back where you freaking started after all the other stuff yeah so that was kind of a surprise to see uh diamonds and centralians kind of you know near each other in in the cladogram in in this uh sea of aglia paper um you know i i think we i talked to uh, Scott on the Fight Club, and he was like, "Oh, so you're saying diamonds and centralians should be the same thing?" I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Something like that. We we went back, went the rounds with that one, but you know, there there that was kind of a surprising thing, and you know, it, it is what it is, and whatever genes they looked at, that's what you know made that line up that way. And and I'm not saying if you looked at different areas of the genome, you might see a different arrangement. And that's always the challenge. You know, what do you use? How much of the genome do you use? And and uh, how do you make that distinction? But I think biogeographically, um, you know, their, their uh, natural history is so different. You know, the diamond pythons are, are very unique in a lot of ways compared to some of the others. And, uh, you know, that, that a case could be made that it could be just Morelia sploda. And Morelia McDowell. So, Jesus, we, we kind of went with convention, but you know, <laughs> if you were to elevate McDowell to full species, then Cheney would have to then be it'd be Morelia McDowell. Cheney would be a subspecies of McDowell because they are more closely related to Cheney's more closely related to McDowell than McDowell is to Spilota. Uh, so you'd have to you'd have to rename all the other stuff, or at least juggle the names around. <laughs> based on their relationships but and we we didn't do that we didn't well, we didn't juggle them around like that we, right we juggled them a bit but okay. redefined the boundaries there but kept the existing names because we were able to do that okay thing, we didn't want to play amateur taxonomist and everything even though you know we pushed the envelope with that but didn't want to you know stop short of naming a new subspecies or doing that sort of thing even though an argument could have been made uh, we didn't want to go get too far out of our lane i guess but okay this is the closest there have been a couple things about carbon python taxonomy one is there has never been at any point a universally agreed to taxonomic arrangement there's been a million different arrangements and no one ever agrees about it ever that's always disagreement has been the norm the entire time right uh, there has been genetic data there's morphological data there's all this there's never been an arrangement that brought together all of that until this book. Our arrangement fits the biogeography that we see, the phenotypes we see, and the genotypes. All of that is factored into this, and it's really the first arrangement anybody that I'm aware of has done where they factored all of that in. I mean, the people that look, you know, they'll look at some genes and they'll just construct a tree based entirely on that and ignore biogeography and morphology entirely. And they originally were just all described based entirely on morphology and ignored biogeography because it wasn't understood at the time and no DNA either. So you, we've adopted what you would call the total evidence approach, which is look at all three of these lines of evidence in their totality and then draw your conclusions from that. And I think anytime you you look at more evidence, you draw a better conclusion than just looking at a single line of evidence. Okay, and it's just the you said it was, this is the northern coastals that would be that they, they would almost break out into their own thing, or is this kind of like the southern coastals? The, the southern animals, southern the, coastals. Okay, the, the northern coastals are kind of 
more closely related to jungles in the Chennai. Well, jungle or, northern coastals are jungles. Jungles, got it. Jungles are northern coastals. That's, got it. So, yeah, I mean, in the analysis that we ran, we had Warren run a bunch of samples for this book. That's why there's that little phylogenetics chapter embedded in the book. You find that there's like no daylight between a Tully jungle and a Rockhampton coastal, but there's a big difference between a Rockhampton coastal and a Brisbane coastal. Got it. The paint job on an animal, that phenotype, there's no tight relationship between genotype and phenotype. You can have mm-hmm. massive phenotypic differences that do not reflect any significant genomic differences and vice versa in some cases. So what you find is that it is literally only skin deep. And my own personal experience and some of you guys as well with selective breeding of carpet pythons. It's, well, I took yellow jungles and made them bright white jungles and it only took me 20 years. Mm-hmm. But if I could do that noodling around with a couple pairs of snakes and eight generations in 20 years, imagine what nature could do. If you were to genetically test my ivory jungles, you would find no daylight between them and any other northern coastal at all yet they're dramatically different in phenotype it's just not reflected it's not you know just a handful of genes which are insignificant in the grand scheme of things genomically can make a massive impact on phenotype right and, and schmitty asked a, a good question about you know how how can mcdowell be so uh unique or or different when it's kind of nestled in between everything else and kind of overlaps in some ways with some of the others and um i mean that's a great question but that's kind of where this uh, uh drainage basin thing came in those splits that we saw between and and the biogeography the splits that we see genetically also correspond with the different drainage basins and some uh, biogeographic barriers. So in the first edition, we talked a lot about that Black Mountain Corridor um, biogeographic barrier um, mm-hmm. that's up kind of near above Cairns a little bit. And, and that's the separation between those Cape York carpets. Yeah. Thanks, Eric, with the, yep, the cursor. The pointer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> between the, the, the variegata and the Cheney eye. Um, so we, we talked a lot about in the first edition and then kind of in, in preparing the second edition, I, I looked up and found a paper that had all these other biogeographical barriers. And, and wouldn't you know, they also were between these genetic breakpoints uh, that were identified by C of Aglia. So there, there is one kind of, and you know, whenever you show kind of this uh, block range map, um, you, you kind of, simplify things. And so in the book, we've included like dot maps showing, you know, where uh, uh, an individual has been found and located. Um, And so, uh, you know, even though the range may go down and touch the other range, there's not a lot of individuals kind of in those, in those uh, biogeographical barrier zones. Like you kind of have a posity of, of, of samples and in some of those areas they're very well populated so it would be very difficult to believe that nobody's seeing carpets when they're there if all the people are on the east coast so that's kind of another evidence where there's these breaks and and there's also actually some in the northern coastal group there's other breaks besides these and so this is also a simplification kind of lumping them all together under cheney um there was you know not really another name but there probably could be potentially other breaks and and they could be unique things so um i can't remember where where exactly those breaks were but we kind of show those in the book the the different biogeographical barriers there's also one down between the southwestern carpet pythons in the west and 
the inland carpets and also the gammon. So that little where they all kind of come together, there's another biogeographical barrier there. And that one was also shown to be important for shingleback skinks. They they differ on either side of that biogeographical barrier to some extent. And so um, that's another one that could be important with carpet pythons because that's, you know, the, the southwestern carpets kind of make their way over east and, and stop there. And then the inlands come over from the, the east towards the west and stop there. So, and then the uh, ones, the ones above that are kind of the ones that are on the cover. I think Dragonlair was asking about that uh, in the chat, you know, so are we supposed to guess what the cover picture is? But yeah, that's that light blue color, kind of the, the little um, skinny balloon shape. Yeah. The one that Eric's pointing to with the cursor is those gammons, flinders, the ones that's on the cover of the book. Um, they kind of range. And, and again, the, the line, the, the border on the East side, um, that border between inlands and the gammons, flinders types. Um, that's also difficult to say where that is. That could be further, further South. It could include, Include more of the dark blue and the light blue or, or vice versa. It was hard to draw that line. And I think there were a few individuals that, that I included in the darker blue color that probably should have gone in the light blue color because of uh, phenotype. But, you know, it's the ones in the light blue color tend to be more reddish, like the, the one on the cover. Not, not usually that dramatic. That one's really red and really nice looking, but they tend to have more of more of that red and orange and yellow in their pattern versus the inlands that are kind of that steel gray and black, you know, more typical what we think of as an inland. So uh, currently, you know, gammons and flinders, that that uh, group is kind of thought of as, as just a, a variant of inland. And that could also be true. I mean, we're not saying any of this is, you know, uh, dogmatic or anything. We, we can, we're flexible and we admit that, that this could go a different way and that new data may come forth that says all oh, this is bunk and we're okay with that. That's how science works, right? We don't, we don't get attached to a certain theory or another until we have, you know, kind of more data in place. So, Things could come to light down the road that could change this. But for, for now, this is kind of the best uh, we could come up with, with the available information. There's, Hopefully there's that no doubt that, questions. that that population is distinct. Uh, phenotypically, uh, genetically, it's just a matter of, I mean, a lot of people probably don't understand that taxonomy is almost completely made up. There's no rules. It is literally entirely up to, there's no objective standard as to what constitutes a species. There's no particular, there isn't even a specific definition of what a species is. It's just whatever the person writing the paper decides, that's, that's what they go with. And since there is no guidance and there's no objective criteria, it's just widely open to interpretation. This is our interpretation. Other people can look at it and say, well, yes, they're different, but not different enough. So we don't, you know, uh, it's it's just entirely, uh, you know, so it's not that they're not distinct. It's just it's a matter of in whoever's opinion, how distinct is distinct enough to warrant specific recognition. Uh, I've just noticed that I can click on the tab for comments and I can see all the comments that have come in. I only just figured that out. And apparently we're confusing a lot of people. <laughs> Lucas is so fired. <laughs> I, I wanted to address a couple questions uh, from the Herpeticulture Network, put out a couple questions that are along the same lines. And the first was that uh, not understanding how diamond, how coastals could be so different when they're nestled between all these other things. Ostensibly, I interpret that to mean 
when you have not one but two populations of inland carpets in between that are kind of nestled in between, but not as closely related to the diamond coastal and brettles pythons on either sides of those inland carpets. And I think the thing that people need to remember or, or think about it this way, it's you're looking at the range map and you're looking at where populations of carpet pythons are now. That's not historically always been that way. Well, right now, a coastal carpet would have to would run into some inland carpets long before it got to a centralian carpet. That doesn't mean that those inlands were always there in the middle. So this seemingly nonsensical, how can they be separated when they're so nestled in, is that th those other populations might be more recent additions to that area. They haven't necessarily always been there. Populations move around. If you were to look at even over a thousand year cycles, you'd see the populations and range maps would look like an amoeba, just undulating, moving, advancing, contracting with climatic conditions and everything. So what we're there's a tendency to look at these maps and think, well, this is where it is now, this is where it's always been, and that is anything but true. I mean, 12,000 years ago, it would have been a completely, the map would have looked completely different. 20,000 years ago, it would have really looked different. It's, this is just what it is now. And so while animals become separated, they, when they are separated, they wander off on their own separate evolutionary trajectories, and then conditions change, and they become in closer proximity to each other, even right up against each other, after having developed separate genetic identities. This is how you end up with a diamond and a coastal that are quite different from each other in a whole lot of, in all respects, but they actually overlap slightly. They didn't, they would have never speciated into two different things if they were always connected. They've just, at some point they were separate, developed separate identities genomically and morphologically, and then now conditions are such that they have come back together and have an intergrade zone. So this, it's just a very dynamic situation. The other follow-on question that they had asked was, why didn't diamond pythons make it to New Zealand? That one's a little easier. Uh, the New Zealand has been isolated for millions of years. New Zealand mm -hmm. has been separated from the Australian mainland for longer than since before carpet pythons even evolved as a, a thing. Yeah, so no, no snakes made it to New Zealand, right? No snakes made it to New Zealand. <laughs> no. So even if they, it's you know, even if they could. They could eke out an existence there. They are they they missed the ship left long before they even came into existence. Mm -hmm. And and there is also a question about the Null Arbor plane. And I imagine at some point in the you know maybe more recent history that there that was supported that could support um, carpet pythons in that area. And it, it, with the aridification of Australia, that's just shrunk and been you know a little more hostile towards. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, the animals surviving there. Isn't that, would that be the same? Mutiny. <laughs> would that be the same with up here between the Cape York and say, you know, the Northern Territory? Like, uh, I, I don't the think there was, I mean, it's possible, but I, you know, I, I think they'd have to find a, a uh, fossil specimen or something, but I I don't think there have been any reliable records from that region of of carpet pythons observed. I mean, potentially, you know, if they could find a, a some kind of, and Nick would definitely know more about you know the fossil record regarding carpet pythons or, or pythons in general. But I don't think uh, there's ever been carpets known from that area, at least you know in recorded history. Uh, aside from a couple of reports, but I, I don't think they're credible. They just don't range down that way. The furthest they've been observed is kind of up on that, uh, you know, where where we have the brown, the the lines. But 
Um, so we, we base these you know, on observe, observations of where carpets have been seen. And that's not to say, you know, somebody might not find a carpet outside of these areas uh, that we've designated. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's possible, but a lot of people go to that lawn hill and those areas kind of around the, the bottom of the Gulf of Carpentaria and uh, do a lot of naturalist surveys and things. And nobody's ever found a, a carpet python except for one herper that claimed to found a pair there. <laughs> so that well, looks really surprising. Yeah, there's no reliable reports at all. And it doesn't, it's a little odd in that the habitat should support them. It's like they should be there, but for some reason they're not. And neither's anything else. That's the same. It's called the Carpentaria Gap, but it affects, again, the water pythons, the frilled lizards. All these things that seemingly could exist in that habitat are missing. And it's, it's probably something to do with that recent marine inundation of that area, which was, I mean, 20,000 years ago, that was a very different area. You had a brackish lake that was landlocked with rivers that are now dry, and it was a very different scenario. And there's something about that event that seems to have severed the distribution east and west on the other side of the the Gulf of Carpentaria, but exactly the nature of why that's the case. Why aren't there little remnant populations along that southern coast? No one really has a good explanation for that. There was another uh, question that popped up, Nick, that I think this is right up your alley. Um, So where's the take on brittle stonewash and diamond stardust? Um, Are they similar? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, they are similar. However, the diamond python community has not really quantified what that is and how that works. Um, it takes a few generations of, of careful breeding uh, to figure out how something is inherited and rule out all other possibilities. And to date, no one's been willing to do that, it would seem. Uh, regarding those stonewashed and brettles pythons, it is very simple. It is a piebald gene. It is a, it is, stonewash is a piebald brettles python. It has all the hallmarks of any other piebald gene. It's just a weakly expressed piebald gene where the white areas are only contained to the ventral surface. Uh, but just like in all piebald genes, the hets are usually a little bit odd looking a lot of times. The, uh, you get kind of a dis, uh, kind of a irregular disruptive area, a pattern where the white areas interface with the pigmented areas, just like in a pied ball or a pied berm or anything else. And it kind of creates like a, a granity sort of border edge to the ventrals on a stonewash. It's just a it's just a weakly expressed piebald mutation. Uh, is the stardust diamond the same thing? It seems very similar to me, but you know, to date, no one's done the multi generation breeding to try to isolate and prove that out. I would be a little surprised if it was. I would be a little surprised if the stardust diamond thing turned out to be a polygenic trait, like some people have claimed. It seems like it's a morph. Uh, it seems it's so pronounced and so obvious that it doesn't. You 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 know it when you see it, and and another thing is that piebald genes in general, they all show high variation in expression, so it fits with that model. I don't personally, I don't have any, so I don't really couldn't tell you if the ventral surface is piebald on them or not. But uh, there's reason to you know, reasonably you could infer there's a there might be a, a some similarity there with the stonewash. Look wise, there's a lot of similarity between the two. You have some, don't you? Yes. Yeah, flip yeah. him over, take a picture. Jeez. You know, I, I actually do have an adult male, but he's such a complete lunatic that I have never handled him 
like ever. <laughs> like, yes. This is the meanest snake I've ever owned in my life. He's absolutely just a psychopath. Like I'm not ticking that thing. I don't care. I'm not going to, I'll let you diamond Python guys figure out how that works. I don't need to prove everything out. Like that's, I'm not touching that snake. <laughs> yeah. Flip it over. If you get piebald ventrals and if the ventral surfaces doesn't show a lot of piebald, or it's difficult to tell. Uh, one trick I found works really well is a black light. Because even a subtle difference between like cream and white, that's very difficult to tell with a naked eye. The whiter scales, the pie scales will fluoresce under a black light and the difference between them and the surrounding scales will be greatly increased. And you can put them under black light and if you see a blotchy belly, that would be a huge indicator that it is, that it is along those lines. In in addition to Nick, what Nick said, you know, there's these kind of, I mean, where where pythons share a lot of the same genes, you know, they they also have a lot of the same uh, disruptions to those genes or or mutations to those genes, and so you'll see an albino in you know a, a ball python and a carpet and a Burmese, you know, you'll see the stardust, uh, you know, diamond and brettles and you know a zebra. And what was a blood python? There's like a zebra blood python as well, something similar to that. You know, spider um, and ball spider, python, yeah. yeah, jag, jaguar, things like that. So, you know, that's that's to be expected, I guess. Yeah, yeah you see the concept of analogous mutations arising in different, you know, distantly related groups. You see it over and over and over and over and over again. It's why when you breed a, an albino corn to an albino king, your hybrids are also albino. Because it's the same exact mutation. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the batik blood python that Justin mentioned, it is exactly the same as a zebra. You get a super busy patterned heterozygote that's fine and a homozygote with a high propensity for tail tip kinking and it's patternless. Um, it's the same exact thing. Uh, the black-eyed leucistic form you find in ball pythons, the fire and super fire ball pythons, that type of leucism occurs in blood pythons, retics, Amazon tree boas, and boa constrictors. And in all cases, the heterozygote is kind of a low grant, a low rent hypo looking thing. And the homozygote is a black eyed white snake with random yellow blotches and or occasional black blotches in all cases. So it's the same, you know, people, I, I think there's a tendency to think that, you know, different species are just vastly different at a genetic level when actually to be an animal and alive on earth, you have to like 95% of you is the same. Like uh, everybody knows they sequence the human genome, but they also sequence the rice genome a few years later. And it turns out we're also like 78% identical to rice. <laughs> like, like, so there's yes. the difference between these pythons. It's very, it's, you know, it's small. I mean, there's difference in regulation and gene expression and stuff, but there's a lot of, you need a lot of the same genes are present, most of them in all of these things. So you would expect that similar or identical mutations would arise in multiple lineages independently. Hadrick had a question. I'm, I guess this is the one. I'm, wait a minute. The, yeah. Are poplins jungles? <laughs> I, so that that's one thing we we kind of addressed in the in the uh, book is jungle is still kind of a, a an adaptation to kind of more closed canopy forest living. So you will have a jungle phenotype. I mean, when I was in uh, southern Queensland, we found a uh, carpet python kind of on a well-wooded uh, mountain 
that looked, you know, very similar to a jungle. It was bl- bright yellow and black and, and banded. And, you know, and so um, it's, it's just an adaptation, kind of that close closed forest living is, is best we can <laughs> determine. So you will find a, a carpet or a jungle carpet phase of the, you know, the, the Cape York carpets and the Cheney eye, you know, the Northern uh, coastals or whatever you want to call them. And then, you know, maybe other areas could also have kind of that similar look like, you know, down in, in Brisbane area, you might have a jungly looking coastal that's uh, adapted. And, and I always had the, I like thought that if you took a clutch of carpet pythons and, you know, you, you put them in, you know, put them in the, in the closed forest canopy and gave them a couple uh, you know, 10,000 years or something, he'd probably come back and see them looking black and yellow as well. You know, so it just, it's just that adaptation to a different, and, and, and this can be somewhat confusing too, is because phenotype can be um, pushed by the environment, right? It, it's not always necessarily strictly genetic, but uh, I, I mean, it, it's genetic, but uh, the selection, you know, if you if you hide better from predators, that that phenotype is going to persist. And so if you if you look the the role and, and then if you have two different areas uh, that are maybe far away from each other, but they you know, they the similar phenotype survives better in that environment, then they're going to look similar, even though they may not be related at all. So you know, similar phenotype is not always an indication of relatedness. Is that clear as mud? (laughs) I'd add that like all of us have bred sort of generic standard issue coastals at some point, probably many times, all of us. And we've probably, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you three, as I have many times, have occasionally hatched a a generic coastal that had a real jungly look, like the background color was all black and it was like really contrasty and kind of looked like a jungle. You're like, huh. Yeah. All we're saying is that, and this is, I mean, basic evolution 101, is that you have a survival bias. If there's 20 eggs that hatch, but one of them has that look, it's likely to survive. And it's not going to take long at all for that to become established. If that works better and that animal lives to breed, is the one that survives to adulthood and reproduces, it's going to make more. It's not going to be a, it doesn't have to be a very long, arduous process. It can be very quick and to adapt to local conditions. And that, extreme sort of phenotypic plasticity you see in the whole carpet python complex. This is why they're all over Australia, which is a pretty tough place to make a living. It's why they've persisted for so long in all these different environments. It's because they're so variable that that random variation that pops out gives them a huge advantage. It's like if the conditions on the ground and the habitat change, they're likely to kick out a baby that's going to do well in this, you know, in this type of, you know, habitat. So it's, it's a, it's not a necessarily a slow process, but it's also why it's not coupled to any significant genomic differences. Uh, one other thing, I think it was, uh, that Patrick said, uh, are Popwin's jungles now or something to that effect? And yeah, no, no, they're not. It's, uh, the only thing that's confusing to people and what you've always called a jungle carpet would still be, cha- is still Cheney. It's not changed, but a lot of what you'd call a coastal carpet is also Cheney. And the most confusing part of that is now in the United States and Europe, we have gelatin jungles uh, and they're not Cheney. <laughs> they're not, they're a rainforest adapted. They're a, a separate thing that is independently and converged, converged on a rainforest adapted color phase that has nothing to do with the ones further to the South. 
you call a gelatin a jungle? I kind of gave that up and just called them gelatin carpets because it just adds, it makes an unnecessary level of layer of confusion. But they are just, if Variegata developed a, because all the other Variegata up on the Cape of New Guinea, they're not really in rainforest habitat. They're in traditional carpet python savanna habitat. And the one place down in gelatin where they, in that area, in, you know, Cape Tribulation and those areas, uh, where they are in closed canopy, old growth rainforest, that's where you find these, it's their version of that color phase. Um, so that's so, the only one that's confusing. But if we just quit calling gelatins jungles, then it's probably less confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, stop calling them jungles. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I mean, you could. I mean, they are they are kind of that jungle phenotype i mean that bold, but then it's a lot know. of explaining it's and easier just to say no yeah that was the <laughs> other fun thing about the gelatins is they're not all black and white you know we have like a page of several different gelatins next to each other showing the variability that you can see in gelatin jungles and, and the majority of them aren't black and white right probably right 80 of them are are or 90 or of them are more gold and and black kind of like a typical jungle that you would find in jungle habitat. So, you know, I, I, I mean, if you want to still call a gelatin a jungle, that's fine too, but just know that they're potentially variegata and not chain eye. So I, I think you guys would probably agree that this doesn't mean that you go, I mean, like, okay, so you're not going to go and breed your Locale like Tully's or Palmerson's or Gelatins to IJs or Popwins and sort of you know think like oh it's the same thing and now now we can have a, a... somebody will <laughs> <laughs> one thing I I struggled with and I told Jess where he's like oh my god I'm literally going to be the person that made albino granites pure like, <laughs> yeah yeah and also and, and I also made jungle jags pure apparently like you're mostly it's like that's uh, oh my god he did oh yeah, god I mean, theoretically you could literally make a snow granite that would be pure variegata even by our any reckoning it's you know, personally no granite jag it's but it's uh, still good and and again <laughs> i mean you know it's it's all snakes in boxes for the most part we're not changing anything in australia by you know breeding a a, a darwin to a to a uh Cape York carpet or whatever you want to call them. Um, so, but you know, they, they are somewhat genetically diverged. Um, right. So the Darwins are more diverged from the other two populations, but we just felt that divergence wasn't enough to warrant, you know, trying to figure out names for, for all those populations or whatever. I guess it was, you know, kind of, I guess, what do you want to say? Like giving a hand to the, to the, <laughs> tradition that we have you know of of these are this and this is that that kind of thing so i mean we're calling them cape york carpets we're not calling them darwin's right mm. we're calling them right uh, new guinea carpets not darwin's so they have three separate names uh three separate populations although they're all under variegata so and at one time all carpet like a lot bigger range was variegata as well so you know that's changed over time as well so so back in so, the day everything was variegata i think for a little while or something outcrossing my brisbans has now become way more complicated than i ever expected that it could be now right <laughs> is what we're saying yeah, well yeah. and brisbans are the only locality we have from the south right yeah but no, don't like, do it yeah, true they're, McDowell. yeah they're the only true mcdowell that you can have confidence in Mm -hmm. um the other problem that it's 
and this is one that maybe gets a bit controversial, but it's, and it, it kills me to say these things even, but uh, our gene pool of coastal carpets after 30 or 40 years of people assuming that northern and southern coastals were the same thing is so irreparably mixed up that it can never be fixed. Yeah. You can be confident that the vast majority of our generic coastal gene pool are northern coastals. But you can also be confident there is at least that pinch of southern coastal blood in there. You look at the classic, and I hate that I know the name of somebody else's snake, the Madam Blueberry animals, and you can tell me there's no southern coastal blood in that because there is. And I had some from a guy named Dale Sylvester in the 80s. And it's like, yeah, that's some big, flat, patternless head. You know, that's There were a small number of, you know, so you have a generic coastal gene pool that isn't, that you can't say it's not pure, but you definitely can't say that it is. It is, it will remain unknown forever. So, and as somebody that's a fanatical purist, like, I gotta, gotta make my peace with that, that I've probably been making mixed animals this whole time and continuing <laughs> to do that. Like, well, what are you going to do? I mean, to, to draw a hard line for me on that would mean I would have to get rid of every, I would have to get rid of half of my collection. Half of, I mean, every morph coastal anything, like all the tigers, all the exantics, all the, you know, jags, all of that, all the caramels, all the hypos, everything would have to go because all of it falls into this basket of eh, probably Cheney with a pinch of McDowell. And so you just kind of, I, I just, I'd like to propose if anybody's listening and pays any attention to anything I say, that uh, we almost have to kind of consider like a third type of coastal. You've got real McDowell, you've got Northern Coastal Drew Cheney, and then you've got this large basket in the hobby of generic, you know, sort of pet trade coastals that we're never going to get because we're never going to get a solid answer. You're, it's too far gone to ever be certain. So does that mean we should abandon our, you know, our exantic tiger projects? I'm not. I mean, but it's, but there is, you know, we're never, you're never going to get clarity on that. It's just, right. too, it's just too late to ever know. So I'm just going to keep plowing ahead with those things. At the same time, I'd never even consider breeding a Brisbane to anything, and neither should you, Owen. It's the only for sure McDowley we have. Don't mess those up. <laughs> Please don't be that guy. Yeah. Uh, you know they're different when you go. I, I know. I yeah, see. I look at them. Different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lucas is waiting in the wings. He's very proud of you, Nick, for saying that without having an aneurysm. <laughs> um, uh, Lucas had another ahead, question Owen. that actually I was interested in. It was um, real quick: is do we have any island localities or species of carpets in the pet trade, like from these tiny islands, like any of these small island localities? No. Cool. <laughs> Damn it. Um, if there was, I would already have them. Yes. I would I would be the first person to line up for that. <laughs> I this is a so we had hold on, let me I, I've been starring some questions. Um we'll get this one out of the way real quick. Uh Ryan Cox was asking, do gelatins uh, fall near the Black Mountain corridor? Justin, you're muted. You're speaking, but no one can that, hear you. You're just going. I love it when people do that. Huh? <laughs> um, they they do lie north of the Black Mountain Quarter, quite you know, a bit, and so we, and and genetically they align more with the the 
other carpets on the Cape York Peninsula further north. And so we've grouped those in with the uh, variegata or the um, Cape York carpet pythons. So not Chaney. Yeah. If you look at a gelatin uh, carpet and you recognize that like the phenotypically all the stuff on the Cape York looks pretty similar to what you find in New Guinea, that same basic phenotype. And then you have these gelatins that are a departure from that. But if you really look at the distribution of pattern elements, color, all that sort of stuff, and if you just like imagine like you could turn the dial and just turn the yellow pigment down towards an exantic, that's basically all it is. They've got the same pattern as the rest of the stuff on the Cape and in New Guinea. They've got the big blushing flames that come up the side, only it's like they all that's really happened to make them that is a reduction in yellow pigments. So there's like a natural nature's made quasi-exantic, if you turn the yellow pigment up, they would look like pretty much like everything else in the cake. So they're not as big of a departure as you think, and it's really only that one pigment that is, you know, in short supply with them. Everything else is basically the same. Okay. Um, the other, qu- there was another question. This is um, from Captain Job. Is there anything genetically that makes some snakes more likely to be defensive than others? Is it just a survival thing based on where they're originally from? I, 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 th- I saw that earlier and I was thinking a little bit about that. I wonder if it's uh, mammalian predators. There's a lot more mammalian predators in kind of the rainforest habitat on the East Coast. But I don't know. I'm sure an Australian could probably answer that better. But um, we, we do know we're actually – yeah. it's actually discussed in the book somewhere, though I can't remember what chapter is buried in now. But uh, – there is a fairly consistent relationship between adrenal gland output and fight or flight response. Meaning the more of it you have, the more likely you are to be flighty and or aggressive. Uh, and we've discovered that, you know, through the process of domesticating animals, that all you're doing when you domesticate something is you're breeding it for lower adrenal gland output and thus more dos- greater about greater docility. And so if you can selectively breed for something to be more docile and have a lower adrenal gland output, then nature could, basically put selection pressure for a greater fight or flight response and greater aggression, depending on, you know, the selection, the selection criteria for any particular habitat. So it does. So temperament is hereditary, at least in that, in that way. So it's possible that being really bitey and aggressive in a rainforest habitat is more conducive to surviving. And if you're a centralian Python, you have fewer predators and maybe it's not as big of a deal. Uh, Animals that are, have a very high fight or flight response and higher adrenal gland output tend to be harder to breed in captivity. It's why scrub pythons are the hard, and white lips are very difficult to breed in captivity because they're psychos and they're stressed out and they're flighty and they're nervous and they don't, you know, whereas carpets pretty easy because they're mellow and they're not, you know, for the most part. So there is a correlation there. So the answer I guess is yes, kind of sort of. Short answer, yes. <laughs> Tony asked a question about, you know, the Papuans. And and I think, I mean, just to kind of sum all this up, I mean, I, I think locality kind of fixes that. Like if you're just trying to breed, you know, locality animals, you're – like we like we said earlier, this could all change. You know, somebody could come along and do more research and show that what we're saying here is you know bunk, and that you know it's it's this way instead. And if you've 
I look at the green tree pythons, right? People have been breeding those all over the place and there's no, you know, very few localities anymore. And, and, uh, they're, they're all designers now, you know, there's some people with, with some of the localities and that's fine. Um, but you know, breeding them all over now, all of a sudden you've got a bunch of hybrids, you know, all these designers are just hybrids. And so, um, you don't have a lot of the, uh, the, the, the pure stuff. So I think as long as you're not breeding your Papuans to Darwin's or, or Cape York's or whatever, you're just fine. I mean, and, and you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, we, we provided a fairly um, updated and more accurate map of, of the distribution of those Papuan pythons, you know, where they kind of have been found and, and kind of talk about that a little bit. And there's a disjunct population. You have some over in the, you know, the, um, the western side and some on the eastern side, and they're separated by water, and and uh, so you know they could they could be different too. But I guess we don't really have populations of the uh, the eastern animals over in the uh, New Guinea side. But the um, I don't know all that all the name changes and stuff has got my head in a jumble. Plus, I just drove like. 20 hours so I'm a little <laughs> out of it anyway but a little bit i, I knew i should set right. up my i, I knew i should set up my breeding scheme for this year coming until after the show cuz i'm like just like nope can't do that one <laughs> nope nope forget that one that i can do this one now it's like yeah so <laughs> yeah i heard you mention that uh brisbane cross i'm like yeah. i was thinking no, about now i'm now, about now, now i can never do it like now don't exactly. do it don't do it <laughs> of course now i hatched a, one of the baby brisbane's that i hatched this year was a female and has like really nice stripes now she's staying she's mine now <laughs> like it's, yeah. you're the only thing i can do with this project so <laughs> yep so i want to talk about something that's near and dear to me and owen and uh, obviously you guys too but uh the owen pelly python made its way into this book how did that come about uh, the most recent molecular analysis has shown they've been bounced around a lot and presumed to be because they're kind of an oddball they're so morphologically different from everything else being so elongated they're kind of hard to you know to, to place they've been believed to be closely related to lysis and then to the scrub python complex and then you know it's been all over the most recent and the balance of the molecular evidence suggests that they are on the same lineage as the carpet pythons but they're an early offshoot so basically if you imagine if you will like you have the, the, the lineage of pythons that will ultimately become carpet pythons and green tree pythons and rough scale pythons and all that stuff. You have that, that branch of Australian, the Australian python radiation. They broke off very, very early. They were the first to split off from that lineage. And within a few million years of them splitting off that lineage, Carinata splits off from that lineage. And then quite a while goes by before between, between those two lineages splitting off and before you have the split between the green python clade and the carpet python clade. So what you have is the Owen Pelly pythons and rough scale pythons are considered sister species to Owen Pelly pythons are sister species to rough scale pythons, the green pythons and the carpet python. Carinata is a sister species to the carpets and to, uh, so it's like the same with the Carinata. They're not a carpet or a green python. They are, they diverged before that split. So they are, they're not ancestral, but they're a sister lineage to both of those clades. 
So the better question is why weren't green tree pythons included in this edition? And maybe that's the third edition. <laughs> we could cover the whole like, clade. It would have been like the Lord of the Rings. It would have been a thousand pages. <laughs> yeah. Like crazy, the coffee table yeah. book. <laughs> so does that mean that now Owen Pelly is under Morelia in nomenclature? No. Is that something? No, it is. No, no. I mean, since it diverged earlier, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it has been described uh, under, well, it was in, in this paper, it was given the name Nawaran, which I thought was kind of cool because that's the Aboriginal name. But as Nick was talking about earlier, precedence prevails, and, and it was originally described as Nyctophilopython, which is kind of a mouthful and sounds strange, but that's what we're stuck with, and that's what they'll be. So Nyctophilopython, get used to that. And, Damn and, it. And, uh, <laughs> so we were just calling them N. Owen Pilensis. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I guess this kind of goes back to the old discussion. Is a Centralian carpet a carpet python? Yeah, I mean, is is Owen Pilensis within the carpet python clade? Yeah, I mean, that that, that larger <laughs> grouping, um, the carpet python clade, that's where it fits in. So, yeah, we figured, ah, where else are you going to put it? You know, where, once they took it out of Somalia, it wasn't, you know, with the scrubs anymore and it didn't really have a good fit anywhere else. So we thought, let's let's put it in the book. Let's let's take it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> the real question is, if they have their own genus for being morphologically distinct in an early offshoot of that lineage, but rough scale pythons are also uh, only diverged slightly slightly later than Owen Pelly did, and they are also a very morphologically distinct lineage. Why are they in Moralia? Yeah. Uh, and why are chondros in Moralia? Because they're morphologically clearly should not be. Moralia should probably be just the carpet pythons. Mm-hmm. I, why? It, <laughs> because basically 100 years ago, they decided that anything with the prehensile tails in Moralia, basically, so <laughs> all the scrub pythons, and you find out like there's, there's a lot of daylight between the green python complex and the carpet python complex. When you look at any of the carpets, they obviously all belong to a cohesive unit. When you look at any of the green pythons, they also obviously are all much more closely related to each other than they are to anything else. That's the definition of a genus. All the members are more closely related to each other than any of them are to anything else. So why is, why is chondropython not a valid genus? Um, I'm kind of opinionated on that one, I think. So, so basically, <laughs> Owen Pelly should be its, Owen Pelly should be its own thing. Ruffy should be its own thing, and then Green Tree Python should be its own thing well, away from carpet. Well, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, if Owen Pellys deserve to be their own thing, then why don't Carinata deserve the same as they fall? They meet all those same criteria, um, but not. I mean, because they're the only keel scaled python. That's a pretty oddball thing they have huge eyes massive scalation differences they're they're weird they're different they are why are they why are they not worthy of being of their own genus if owen belly pythons are worthy of that yeah hmm. excellent so, so three yeah three <laughs> i don't know can you write i mean i don't know this just is pretty keep, comprehensive him bigger. I, just I, keep going I, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought it'd be cool to have like a book that covered all the australian pythons but jesus you know. christ <laughs> yeah. huge. Be, well i mean it's been done but you know several volumes have the detail of the carpet python book mm-hmm. in the, with all the oh, python. wow that would be cool <laughs> 
but you could have it like a set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just go. Yeah. Yeah. Python's <laughs> Australia, volume one, volume two. Yeah, <laughs> just each volume covers a different thing. I'm all for it. Let's do it. it We've already got volume one and two. You know, yeah. the at the same at the same level of resolution and detail, you would have a book that would be on the order of like six thousand pages, because. <laughs> If it took over 600 pages just to knock out the carpet python complex, it's, I mean, the and even when when all the dust settles taxonomically, there's more scrub pythons than anything and retics. There's a bunch of retics that are awaiting description. There's a Australian, bunch of Australian. <laughs> limit to Australia. No, they're not yeah, the there's not the pythons. No, <laughs> like, there's a lot of species of python, so it. It would be an arduous, uh, any such a endeavor would have to probably be a little more concise in nature. Or you'd never, no one's going to, no publisher's going to print a 3,000 page book no. or a five volume set of books. It's just too much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably right. <laughs> Justin and I would uh, die of old age before completing it. If it took us four <laughs> years to get that one done, I'm like, yeah. So, although, there was a okay. pandemic in there, so we yeah. have a little bit of an excuse. <laughs> uh, I, that probably helped anything and nothing else to do, but that's true. Uh, yeah. I think that we didn't just, help me. I was busy with viruses. A little, <laughs> a little insight into things that part of the reason this book took so long is because we had a plan, what we set out, what we were going to do, how far we were going to go, and then we kept moving the goalposts. As we got more and more into it, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense, and that's not right. The taxonomic stuff, mm-hmm. so then we like. We really didn't want to be moving stuff around and get into that. And then we finally, so we wrote it and then we rewrote a bunch of it. And like as a half measure, they were like, oh, screw it. We have to go all the way. And then we had to redo it again. So we had to keep redoing it until finally we just, you know what? It's going to confuse people that Cheney is this big thing now, but that's just, it is what it is. It's what the data shows. Clearly, it's what the data shows. So. Redoing it was such a pain because you had to go into like the coastal chapter and pull out everything that referred to the northern coastals and put it in the the northern coastal chapter and you know all the stuff in the Darwin yeah it it was a it was a headache all the all the stuff in the the jungle carpet python chapter that applied to the stuff in the Cape York Peninsula you know the Cape York carpets um yeah it was sounds like fun. it was so a, much fun. It was a nightmare. And then all the maps that we'd made, you had to go back and change that. So luckily I'd saved all the maps as like the, you know, the uh, Photoshop version so I could easily manipulate them and, and change them to some extent. I mean, it's still a headache and, and a nightmare. So, yeah, I, like I said, there are a couple of those uh, samples of, of the uh, gammons, flinders, whatever you want to call them. Um, that were a little further south that were included in the inland. And I'm like, those probably should be the others, but I'm, I'm done messing with it. You know, or I'm not going to mess with it just to change a couple spots. So I don't know. Yeah, those maps changed a lot. There's a yeah. lot of various versions of this. <laughs> like like trying to break things apart and get the references all right. And, Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the Variagata stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Darwin's were always had their own chapters, so that was fairly straightforward. But the combining Cape York and New Guinea into, and, but still drawing distinctions between them, it was, these are things we agonized over and really contributed to how long it took to get this done. Yeah. Plus there's also, I mean, we're both pretty stoked. Well, wow, we get to do a second edition. That was, you know, it's pretty cool. We were pretty excited to do that. But I think both of us very early on decided we didn't want to. A lot of second editions of books are just 
uh, you know, you slap a new cover on, throw in a few picture, new pictures, a bonus chapter on something that wasn't there before, and then send the same book out, basically. Yeah. And we didn't want to do that. We we wanted to make it an entirely new book, and so we doubled the length, added three hundred over three hundred pages, additional pages to it, and rewrote almost everything. I don't think you can find a single paragraph in that book that is how, even if it was something that was there before, you won't find a paragraph that hasn't been changed. Everything's been changed. And every picture has changed. I think there's fewer than 10 pictures from the first edition that are in the second edition. It's that few. Virtually every image, even in the morph stuff, it was like, nope, we already did that. And so it's, it's got to be a new image so that it feels mm-hmm. new. Another thing is we also decided kind of early on with the way we were going to structure things to have only wild snakes in the species chapters dealing with wild snakes and only captive and captive snakes in the chapters dealing with captivity was to try to democratize it a little bit and give more people the chance to have their picture in a book. So the amount of photographic contributors is just exponentially greater. Like, you know, instead of getting 50 pictures from one person, it's like I'd rather have one picture from 50 people, which is logistically more difficult, but it kind of wanted to make it more of a community effort where everybody felt a part of the process or more people had the chance to have a picture of their their animal in a book if possible or their data incorporated into a table or a chart or whatnot. So that was, uh, it, it made it logistically more difficult, but I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm happier with the end product and I hope people who get the chance to thumb through it are as well. I'm, I'm hoping that people are, are happy to have their picture in the book and that will suffice because we had a lot of people asking, you know, for a free copy if they contribute a photo or two and we're like, yeah, we'd be We'd be broke. We'd be spending all <laughs> one you know, picture. No, we'd be spending our own money to supply you a book. You know that that doesn't. You know, it's this is not a lucrative business. We're not making a lot of money. You know, I just dropped uh, ten grand at Bob's place to pick up the copies I got. You know, well, I just got <laughs> the invoice for mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's a, a lot. big purchase. You know, and so um, it's we we have to buy the books that we that we sell personally so and we get very little royalties from the other books that are sold i think you know a buck or two you know split between us kind of thing and so it's uh it's it's not we're not making a bunch of money on this It's kind of a labor of love situation here um and you know i i I hope it's i hope it's great that uh that they they get to include their their picture in the book (laughs) Well, I can tell you as somebody that has a picture in the book, I mean, I didn't make the first cut because, you know, we were just kind of coming into the carbon python world. But, you know, I I could die a happy man. I mean, I have a picture in a carbon python book. What the hell? Yeah. You know, uh, the entire morph thing. Like, the, you, got a, you, got a, uh, you got a few pictures in there. Yeah. 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 But I'm just saying, even if it was just one, the idea that, you know, I, I, I I don't know. Just blows hey, me we, away. We right, wanted to you. legitimize <laughs> it with the Podfather's, you know, photos in the book. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Oh, each copy has been blessed by the Podfather's. <laughs> yeah. <There you> go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's I, 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 you know, I don't know what else to say other than if you're into carpet pythons, uh, this is it's going to blow you away. I mean, I'm I'm curious I, what what you like what what's what's hit you the most or what you've you've gotten the most excited about with the new new edition over the old edition. Sorry to spring that well, on you. <laughs> I I think one is I I said it just the the 
how you guys were able to capture the whole idea of the variability of wild carpet pythons really impressed me. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. You, I, I'm, I'm sort of taking it in and like rereading and rereading and rereading. Um, I don't know. Cause it's it, it, to Nick's point earlier. It, it is really like a new book. Um, yeah, I, uh, I it's kind of hard maps too because you had a lot of a lot of spoilers. I think you were pretty yeah. a lot of things that most people weren't. So <laughs> I think yeah, Nick, just, you you added yeah, some of the books. I said right? stuff in advance too to look at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we appreciate your help on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We talk about the variability. I think that the McDowell Eye chapter has twenty eight pictures in it, and it's yeah. twenty eight different snakes, all wild snakes in 28 different places doing 28 different things so you can see this the breadth and width of everything you know that's that's yeah. out there and everything and that the, that was the easiest one to get pictures of because there's always a lot of people taking pictures of southern coastal yeah. but they're all from a very kind of kind of uh like concentrated area you don't see a lot from you know the the extremities of the range so that you know I, like even though we we had a ton of pictures they all kind of were grouped around brisbane you know that kind of thing so and and maybe they're harder to find a, a field you know f- further afield but yeah that was kind of a trick uh, there's there's one picture i'll forever lament not being able to get for the book well there's two actually but sometimes you stumble onto an image and you can't find the actual person who clicked the camera to get their permission. And you can't use it if a third party gives you the picture. you got to find the actual photographer and get their permission. Mm-hmm. One was a wild, patternless coastal eating <laughs> eating in somebody's driveway. It was just on the ground. And it was like completely patternless. It was obviously some sort of morph, a big southern coastal is totally patternless. Yes. But it was like want- <laughs> the guy I got the picture from got it from his buddy who was the neighbor of the person who took it or something. You could never quite <laughs> find that one. And the other one was a picture of a wild diamond inland intergrade in the wild, mm-hmm. which we speculate. Oh, wow. I really? referenced this as a thing that exists. And the picture was awesome. And it was exactly where you thought if, if such a thing existed, it was exactly where it would be. And it could only be that. It was mm-hmm. obviously not a diamond and obviously not an inland and looked exactly like what you think a diamond inland mix would look like. And it was right on the interior, on the Murray-Darling Basin side of the mountains, but not all the way out in the on the flatland, but kind of in the, the, the end of the mountains as they start to peter out. There was a river that kind of went up and there was a reservoir that went up into a valley in the mountains itself. And it was there on the banks of that. Right where wow. that point of contact would likely have been, and it was clearly what it was, but it was—I was never able to actually get a hold of the actual person who took the picture. It was, yeah. just, oh, it in, was even a that, good image too. That same That's regard, so we we do have pictures of um, what looked to be, you know, those uh, the Chennai uh, uh, Metcalfi intergrades. You know, the and and that was kind of a, a fun thing for me was to to see kind of that. Um, intergrade zone between the the northern coastals and and the inlands where where the mountain ranges kind of peter out a little bit and there's there's some room where the the uh, rivers flow inland a bit and you have tree lines that could get them in in and, and in close contact and then seeing the okay here's a here's an inland record and here's a coastal record and pretty you know close and they're all kind of converging on this one area you know this kind of wide area and 
and seeing that the overlap zone is fairly, fairly good size. So, um, yeah, kind of uh, an interesting thing to to stumble upon through more of a photographic thing because I kept seeing pictures, people la- labeling them as as inlands, and they're you know in the interior, but they clearly look like coastal carpets. Yeah, <laughs> they don't look like an inland carpet. And and then as you get closer to kind of the overlap zone, you see some that look like they are over you know they're intergrades, and so that was that was pretty uh, cool. That's to, awesome. We we actually have two pictures of those from the same exact location. Mm -hmm. Uh, One's an adult and one is a juvenile. And I think one's in the inland chapter and one's in the coastal in the Cheney chapter. (laughs) But the adult looks like a weird inland, but with more brownie orange, brownish orange flames than it should have for an inland from the Murray Darling Basin. And the other one is a juvenile that looks much more like a juvenile coastal carpet, but again, a little off. It doesn't look it's, it looks like it leans a little more to the coastal side, at least as a juvenile, but it's, but they're in the same place. Yeah. Exactly the same, which is right where you would hypothesize such a thing would be. Yeah. Right. That was pretty cool to, to, I guess, stumble upon, you know, and in, in doing the research for the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you, how do you guys write a book, take all this time and, keep from burning out on a subject do you do you like not want anything to do with carpet pythons for a while and move on to your next book or i mean already on it <laughs> yeah i i, right. I do on it for a while <laughs> i admit yeah. that once we kind of get it sent off to the printer it's like you know i do like to see it in my hands and kind of flip yeah. through it but i'm not like reading it or because i know i'm gonna find like a mistake or something that that we didn't catch and be like oh great you know nah, <laughs> So I kind of have to put it away for a little bit and then go revisit it, you know, a little while later, maybe in a year, I'll be able to flip through it and read through it a little more carefully and go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that, that's in there. <laughs> you tend to fixate on the things you wish you should have done or forgot to do or got messed up that, that nobody else noticed. Like <laughs> the first edition, I was obsessed with that we didn't get a good picture of an Isle of St. Francis carpet. Yeah. That one bugged me. And there's a picture that got that a production error where the low res image actually made it to print and didn't get swapped out for the high res image. So it's an imbricata on eggs, but it looks like it was taken with a black and white surveillance camera or something. Clerical error basically, but it's like, oh uh. yeah. And we got some great Isle of St. Francis carpet pictures this time. Yeah. We did yes. include the surveillance photo uh, in there too. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was an actual surveillance photo, but oh, it was yeah, that yeah, it was meant to be that way, but yeah, it was uh, that camera trap image of a centralian carpet catching a, a sparrow hawk of some sort, and then the other one was the same um, camera trap uh, having a centralian carpet python hang out with a bunch of like tree frogs, you know, kind of showing, you know, they're not really afraid of the carpet, and the carpet's not really going after them, so maybe uh, frogs aren't really in the diet of of centralian carpets but birds definitely are because we have that that image and that was uh, very kindly provided by the researcher that was doing that work so she was able to to allow us to include that in the book so even though they're kind of you know night vision uh, camera trap poor quality photos i thought they were illustrative of kind of a cool natural history event so i'm glad she allowed us to to do that yeah the hardest thing to get is Getting pictures of wild brettles pythons is already hard enough. Getting the pictures of them eating something, getting yeah. wild pictures of wild carpets in the process of predating something, that is, re- it's like, 
it's gold. Like, yeah, I think that was, pictures, I was oh. think one of my favorite pictures in there is a, it's a, a, a Southwestern carpet from a <laughs> wedge Island eating a shingleback skink. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and talking to the, the, the lady who took the pictures, it, it took it about 24 hours. The, the skink is covered in armor. And so the skink <laughs> wasn't giving up the ghost and it was like, it caught it midday and it was the following morning before it finally submitted and got swallowed. It was just, Nope, not having it. And just locked in this battle. Like I felt bad for the skin, but it made for a really interesting photograph. Of the book. Yeah. You gotta be pretty desperate to try to take down a shingle back, but um, how would you even digest that? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. We find, uh, we find carcasses on the side of the road that have to be like 20 years old and they're still identifiable as a shingle back skink. You know? Yeah. They still got like dermal scutes and stuff on them. They're still stuck yeah, to the bones. They're dermal armor. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I, I think in regards to Tony's question, I, um, hello, Tony, by the way, uh, good to see you. Um, I, I got really geeked out on these, on the cover photo and, and that group of pythons, the, um, gammon ranges and Flinders ranges stuff. And I'm actually, you know, planning a trip to South Australia for my 50th birthday to be out there, <laughs> try to go find some of those in the wild. So, um, yeah, should be, hopefully we'll get lucky and see one. But yeah, I just really, um, I, and I also think I have a, a more of an appreciation kind of for the wild type and, and less interest in morphs, I guess, focusing on the natural history and seeing all these, all these variation, uh, you know, the variation in the different carpet python localities or, or groups or whatever, you know, seeing the variability that's inherent in, in carpet pythons just gets me really excited for that. So, um, that's, that's how I'd answer that. What about you, Nick? <laughs> oh, forgot to unmute myself. <laughs> uh, I don't know. My position's a little, or situation's probably a little different. I've been obsessed with this group for 28 years and it's never wavered for us. So it's like, I couldn't be more, I couldn't get more into it because I'm as far down that rabbit hole as you can possibly get. I I got my first carpets in 1994. Uh, and I've still got the linear descendants of those animals from 1994. I still have nine generations later. I still have the descendants of those original animals. So it's kind of, it deepens my appreciation and my, there's always something you don't know. There's always something else you learn. And when you write a book like this, it forces you to learn things you didn't know. It's not this book and neither the last one or any of the books that Justin and I worked on. They're not books where we just know all this stuff. And then we write down what we know. We have to learn. We learn a tremendous amount in the process of doing the research for the book. And anytime you're learning something new, that's, that's what it's all about. So, yeah. Cool. Lisa just put up a question. Uh, do all carpets battle except diamonds? No. Combat, I guess. I guess yeah. combat. Yeah. Uh, Southwestern, Southwestern carpets don't. and inland carpets don't usually, but mm-hmm. every once in a while, maybe. Generally speaking, uh, your, your more southerly ranging forms of cold tolerant stuff, diamonds, inlands, and southwesterns don't. And you also see those are also the three where you have sexual size dimorphism in the other direction with females being slightly larger on average than males, uh, because obviously if males fight over who 
who gets to breed the females, then there's selection pressure for bigger, stronger males as they'll win the fight. If there's no selection pressure for that, then bigger males are just kind of a waste of resources, really. So you tend to have smaller males uh, and larger females. Yeah. I mean, you also get some uh, size disparity and and to to kind of keep the sexes from uh, competing with each other. So like uh, like the southwestern carpets, there's some pretty extreme examples of that on on islands, uh, uh, Garden Island, and some of the other islands that where the males are minuscule and they're feeding on mice, whereas the females are very large and eating wallabies. And uh, I suspect uh, Lisa knew that because I know she read Rick Shine's book. So <laughs> she's but, uh, yeah, the males of the these, you know, the small males don't bother wasting energy competing for each other. And and, and actually several males will will kind of line up and, and hang out near the female. Now, that's not I mean, that's that's like a general rule and that's not always the case. And there have been some instances where, you know, the ones that aren't typically known to combat will combat or you see you know some scars but it's it's very um it's less commonly observed for sure and there's uh, just a greater trend towards the southwestern carpets and the diamonds just not combating even though it may happen from time to time I i like this one from eric this one might be for you nick it concerns the russian russians tigers or whatever those are um would they be considered a northern or southern coastal? I still haven't found that on the map. I'm going to have to have Eric show me one of these days. I couldn't figure out how it was spelled or something. It's going to be, Depot. Yeah. It's going to be like a lot of this stuff where you're never going to probably get good clarity. That bloodline uh, is there's no locality associated with it. So it's in the sort of generic, you know, non-locality basket. Uh, phenotypically, though they make red babies and whatnot, that's not a specifically uh, exclusive to a southern uh, population, that trait. Phenotypically, to me, they always looked a bit more northern, and I would suspect if they were from a particular place, they're probably in that Cheney uh, grouping. But it, again, without any without any concrete or even suspicion of where these things came from, it'd be pretty difficult to assign them. And, you know, I guess you could look at them at the molecular level, but that would be very expensive to do to answer that question. (laughs) Gotcha. Cool. Um, I guess, I mean, we're, we're about 10 minutes away. Nick, I know you're on a hard out. Uh, Where can, uh, where can they get the book? Yeah. (laughs) Where do they get the book? I know people. I saw people on the internet. They did pre. Oh, there you go. There's, there's pieces <laughs> there. They are. Just pick some. Justin's. Yeah. <laughs> people were freaking out because it's a pre-order and they wanted it ordered. Like that's why it's called a pre-order. You <laughs> order it before you get it. Well, the, yeah, the people who pre-order will definitely be getting theirs first. So, Duh. And, yeah. and we'll be getting to the others later. But yeah, there will there will be. Uh, I mean, we had a print run and and i was there when the books arrived so i actually just got back like we we got on the podcast after i i haven't even loaded all the books from the car but um so i got there when the truck arrived and saw the big stack of you know boxes of books so um you know there's there should be some available if you want uh signed copies nick and i can provide those signed you know by one or the other of us whoever you order from and then uh 
uh, we, we're trying not to ship books back and forth between us. So unless you, you know, you're really desperate for a copy signed by both of us, you know, we might be able to do that, but it's going to cost a, a bit extra for the trouble right, and effort the, to the ship them back and forth. <laughs> you don't want to charge people because it looks like you're charging for a signature, but most people don't realize, especially if they're overseas, that like Justin and I live over a thousand miles away from each other. It's yeah. not. And these books are heavy, so it's got to, you know, books got to get shipped from one and then to the other. It's, it's you've run up additional shipping costs on a heavy book to do that. And and, and, anyway. and with all the books we've published, it seems like right as we get them, the the U the, the U.S. Postal Service ups its <laughs> prices by like a dollar or two. I I don't know how this occurs, but it seems like if we write a book, they're gonna up their prices like before after we charge people for shipping. You know, so it's like we're gonna be losing money on on shipping in some instances. But and I I we still you know we still need to figure out what uh, you know or. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of logistics to this. And so and now, you know, Nick and I both have quite a few pre-orders and and it's going to take time to get through that. So I guess we're just kind of going by, you know, whoever ordered first, you know, they're going to get their book first. So if they like, paid uh, first, they're getting their book first. Please <laughs> be patient. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Know, if there was 30 or 40 pre-orders, get them all out in the first day. When there's <laughs> 300 pre-orders, just yeah. and a hundred of them are overseas, so each one of those requires a customs declaration. Yeah. You can't sign, fill out a customs declaration, and bubble wrap and pack this thing for an international voyage and do that many in a day. It's and if you showed up at the at the post office with that many at once, they'd probably murder you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Based on the size, once they're wrapped and packaged for shipping, if I had all of them done at one time, I would have to make it would fill the entire bed of my truck twice. That's how many books it would be. So it's like my goal is like I want to get them all out this next week. They should be here hopefully Friday. Starting on Monday, I want to get out like 60, 70 a day just and just in the order they came in and get them all sent on their way. But it's it's going to be it's it's way past what any even any two people could do in a day. Just yeah. because of enough, which I mean, I know I'm sure I can speak for Justin, too. We're stoked. That people are that interested and it's like yeah it's like, thank you so much validated yeah i'm like I'm, I'm i'm happy there's this much interest but it's a bit overwhelming it's gonna be a lot of work yeah especially <laughs> where i have a full-time job like i'm gonna have to find spare time to package books and, put them viruses on the back burner <laughs> you have, you have, don't you have like college students you know <laughs> yeah, you want some right. credit wrap a book yeah i can relate to how the post office looks at you when um you know i'm just bringing calendars and people they're like why are all these calendars <laughs> it's like, oh my God, a truck full of books they're so like what the hell yeah i'm planning on hitting hitting post offices on the way home so i'll just drive to separate post offices and drop you know 10 20 of them off at yeah. once and i was thinking yeah. of doing that too like just take yeah. every day's batch to a different post office so they don't get mad at me <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man when uh, so so anyway, I, I show like I I was coming back from Mexico and I I messaged Bob and I said, hey, I'm I'm in the area or the books here, and he said, I think they're coming at two o'clock, and I'm like, oh great, that's gonna mean I'm gonna have to spend another night, you know, and get get back a uh, uh, half a day later or whatever. So I'm like, well, it's better than having them ship them all to me. So we're loading them into the 
the truck and I'm watching the, you know, the, it gets lower and lower, and the, you know, putting more <laughs> strain on the tires. I'm like, wait, how many, how many books have we loaded? And I'm like, okay, I don't need that many. Let's take out a few cases. Why are all these sparks coming yeah. behind me? It's weird. <laughs> yeah. you definitely I was worried it was going to be a little rough uh, ride home, but we made it back and I'm back home. So. You definitely nice. came out ahead picking him up yourself. I got yeah. the invoice for Bob. The shipping, it was $750. Oh, to holy man. Just to ship the boxes Gosh, from Bob. Dang. It was 34 cases of books. And yeah. to send them from him to me was $750. Because I, I got 33 cases, so I got one less than you. Yeah. So, yeah. I, well, I mean, I had to pay to drive down there, but not that much. So. Still, not $750. Yeah, I, I came, out of, came out ahead. I mean, it's a little too far to drive all the way to Arizona. That might be a bit much for me. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, like I said, we were down there anyway, and I got to go herping. So, <laughs> Except I, I found this uh, oh, it was a little juvenile hog nose that had just been hit by a car and, and we saw the ass and missed it. I like. I I'm really sad about that. I keep finding these recently hit the hog nose. I need to see a live one. But what do you do? We did see a beautiful coach whip. It was like liquid lightning, though. We didn't get hands or we didn't get anywhere near it. But it just kind of zipped across the road. But it was one of those really red pink ones. Really nice. So you need cool. your your you need some Bobby uh, Bobby Pebbles to grab those. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Rob, have Rob sacrifice his body for it. That's yeah, I remember that dive, yeah. man. That was impressive. <laughs> you all had to applaud for that one, and then ask if his ribs were broken. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah that's right. <laughs> I so remember how I, this is going to be my advice, right? Remember how when the complete carpet python, nobody could find it, and it was like $400 on Amazon? Just buy two books. Yes. One from Nick, one buy from Justin. Yeah. One from, signed from Nick, one signed from Justin, and you'll have them on your shelf. You'll be good to go. That's it. That's how you have to do it. And if you have to sell one you know, down the road, yeah. it's worth more money. You know, the coins. You can keep your kidney. It's like you a keep collectible. The kidney and, you know, <laughs> keep it in its in its wrapping, and it will go up in value, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, amazing job, guys. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, this is gonna. I'm reading this on my trip. Uh, <laughs> have a chance to read it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but I'm uh, excited for you, man. Find find a lot of stuff. Get some good pictures. Hopefully just, I find some McDally. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, my uh my buddy Mick Austin, he just sent me a bunch of pictures. He's got like six six carpets that he found on his property in the last like week. One of them was eating something. Like they're great pictures and they're just really diverse. And I mean, these are all on his property. It's so they're moving right now. You're going over yes. a good time. So yeah, yeah. If you don't find one, then I'm just gonna me- have to just declare you as a terrible Herbert. He's, he's not, he's not bringing me. No pressure. He's not bringing me, so he's already at a disadvantage. So. That's right. Well, I, that's right. I got also going, susceptible to large guaranteed. birds. Guaranteed. Yeah. I got Mr. McPeak, the OP. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. You got decent, Bobby Pebbles. A decent uh, trade up. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys will be in good shape. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the place if, if you need, you know, you just have Viper go out there and, you know. <laughs> Get us one. Yeah. yeah. Here it is. Knock down a tree. <laughs> yeah. It'll be all right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I mean, the place we're going to uh, has carpets sighted right on the property. So um, mm. 
hopefully we'll be uh we'll be good but uh that was yeah. Nick. You know, Nick and I had that lucky up in Darwin on the, the property of our Airbnb. <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. We were walking around at night. We're like, oh, there's one. <laughs> like, like, well, we're off to a great start. <laughs> it's always there's great when you find it right the there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so in twenty. What would it be twenty thirty two when we're looking at the. Uh, the, the more and more complete carpet by the book. <laughs> uh, it like the uh, Fast and Furious naming convention at that point. <laughs> <laughs> like, so more carpets, more, more complete. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Any final thoughts? Any, you know, put out whatever you want. And uh, yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. we're excited. Hopefully uh, you guys enjoy it too. We had a lot of fun writing it and and a lot of, you know, pain and anguish writing it. So hopefully it's uh, it's worth reading. You do always have a little bit of anxiety about like, well, I hope people like this. Like, like <laughs> when you're that immersed in something for four years, like you kind of get a little, you're so close to it that you understand it perfectly. But you don't, you kind of wonder, is anybody else going to understand this? Because I know it makes you kind of like you don't have that distance that's why we sent you some stuff in advance it's like what do you can you understand this <laughs> yeah if i can understand it you're all right well, it's like it, it doesn't have to be easy to understand you just have to be able to like you read, you read it twice well you understand what we're saying like that's uh i always still wonder like and even like as we're explaining a lot of this stuff looking at some of the comments and like oh, this is gonna confuse the people i've read it's like <laughs> It's going to take a It'll while. Be- People will have to reread it. They'll get it. It'll be fine. But if you don't challenge the reader at all, what was the point? If you don't bring anything new to the table, if you don't, if, if the readers never challenge at all, then they probably didn't learn anything. And if they didn't learn anything, what was the point of the book in the first place? It's like you, you should challenge yeah. people to learn something and go a little further, you know, uh, than they've gone before. So that's kind of the point. I guess it's kind of like present this, sometimes complicated stuff in a manner that people can get their brains around. Mm, yeah. I mean, talking endlessly about Pleistocene sea levels and it's, you know, <laughs> correlation to habitat. It's like, this is pretty kind of not stuff that people generally think about. <laughs> Nick, River I can tell you basins and how it correlates to dispersal <laughs> mechanisms for species. And this stuff is not, you know, right at the forefront of most people in the hobby's mind. Whenever I hear the word Pleistocene, I immediately think of you. Immediately. <laughs> You're the first person that comes to my head. I, I kind of have an obsession with Pleistocene megafauna, too. Yes, I have a collection of mammoth fossils. And yes. I've got, a, I've got a cave bear jaw. It's like uh, a yes. side of a jaw from a juvenile cave bear. Like yeah, right. Yeah, I like, need this for reasons. Like I it's, got a couple of like step bison. I got the atlas bone from a step bison. Like all this like extinct Pleistocene fauna. Nice. That period of time I find really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I will I, say too that I, I really enjoyed uh, writing the book with Nick. He's he's a good you know a great co-author. Uh, pulls his own weight. You know has a lot of great insights and and things like that. So it's been a pleasure writing with Nick and I'm excited to write more books with him. So yeah, that, this, and this along that same lines, I would say that, I mean, Justin knows people and I know people and people tend to, they, I wouldn't want anybody to walk away from looking at this book, thinking that it was anything less than a complete team effort. It was not, <laughs> nobody's pulled more weight than the other person. Like there is equal contributions and it's, you know, yeah. 
Justin uh, graciously let me keep my name first on the title of the book because he knows that carpet pythons are like my thing. My life's work is carpet pythons. So he knew it was kind of important to me. But no one should look at that, that my name is first, and assume that I did any more than Justin did. That's not the case at all. It is very much a, a partnership. And again, like it, it's, it's hard to find somebody to write that higher level type of stuff with that does pull their weight and knows that and they have a good rapport with and you have a singular vision and that's harder to find than it, it might seem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate being able to do these with Justin because we have very, our views are very much aligned in what we want to do and how we want to present it. And so we, it, it does make it a much smoother process. Yeah, for sure. You're like the the McCartney and Lennon of the reptile book world. (laughs) (laughs) Of the carpet python publishing world. It's like a very narrow It keeps getting narrower as he's talking. Uh, Yeah. 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 The next edition will have to be two volumes. I, I will say too, even though we're you know kind of not looking necessarily forward to the initial effort that it's going to take to get all these shipped out, um, we do make a little bit more if if you order directly from us rather than from Eco. So you know if if you if you're okay to wait wait a little bit, you know we we'd appreciate the the, the business that way too. It helps us kind of recoup some of the the costs associated. I mean, if you if you look at the time put into this and the money that we make from it, it's pennies. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's nothing. It's like but, a dollar an hour, <laughs> if, if that. You know, it might not even yeah. be that. It might be yeah. less than a dollar an hour. This is this is four years of effort. You know, like and, and fairly it. intense effort. You know, a lot of conversations, a lot of back and forth. Like, oh, what do we do with this? What do, what do we want to settle on here? You know, what are what are we gonna yeah. say and you know, we, we talked on the phone quite a bit. I almost I almost missed the daily conversations. Like, man, I haven't <laughs> talked to Nick for a couple of weeks. <laughs> He's probably sick of talking to me. So he's like, yeah, I'm not going to call him for a while. But, you get to a point yeah. where you're close to the finish line and you just want to be done yeah. so badly. You yeah. just want to be done and put it in the happy, well, happiest days of my life is being able to, it's done. It's yeah. off. The <laughs> it's done. going to the publisher. Anything. We can't Locked. change it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Such nice. a relief. Yeah. And now we're, you know, right back at it again. <laughs> yep. Next one. Yeah. Yeah, but nobody's like chomping. Nobody knows about the next one. So there's nobody like. You, you know, get to have that big reveal later on. Else all like, oh, God. About when it's going to be done because most people don't know that it exists. <laughs> yeah, put that you off for a too while. much. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just, no. <laughs> you can kind of go at a more leisurely pace, and you don't have the stress of, you know, because we wanted to have the carpet book out about a year before we did. It took about a year mm. longer. The final yeah. round of rewrites it just added like another year to it. Because you know we have lives outside of writing books and whatnot, and yeah. families and kids that like to be paid attention to sometimes, and <laughs> maybe yeah. And her and trips I, to go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I'm like uh, soon, a couple yeah. six weeks. I'm out of here too. So. Nice. I haven't gone anywhere since my Cape York trip. It's been almost six years. Oh yeah! Holy shit! I'm going to go around my backyard. Like the rest. It's supposed to be like a two-year break. It was. It would have been two years after that. Then I had the whole go dive with whale sharks and look for a ruffies trip, all bought and paid for, and then Australia decided, you know what? Don't come. Uh, we're gonna, they locked the doors. Yeah. Country for you know two and a half years or whatever, and then yeah. So it was you know, and here we are. So now we're finally able that's, to. Get that's why Eric hasn't seen a southwestern carpet yet. Yeah
Yeah. Three days away. That's brutal. So what, I'll be back there in what, 25 hours? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 25 hours. <laughs> 25 whole hours. Yeah. <laughs> nice. 25 yeah, hours. So. Don't look forward to the plane ride, but. <laughs> no, it's worth it. He's fine. I generally yeah. put it to good use. Like I, I've got a little tiny laptop. Luckily, <laughs> I have a laptop, and I, I tend to get a lot of writing done when I'm stuck on a plane for ten hours or twelve hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on this next, this coming upcoming trip, I plan on getting some progress made because it's like I got no distractions and nothing else to do but focus on, you know, right. eighteen hours of travel time there and back in total. So like I should be able to get something done. Yeah, I'm really jealous of this trip, Nick. Take lots of good pictures, man. That's a cool, cool trip. I don't know if I told you where we're going. Oh, I thought you did. We were supposed to go to Australia, then that got changed. Then we're going to go to Ecuador and the Galapagos, and then that got changed. Oh, so you're not going to the Galapagos. Okay. It turns out that Ecuador is not really that easy to get around in, and Mm -hmm. in the time we had, while it's totally doable to do what we wanted to do, we just did not have enough time to properly plan the logistics of of that and we would end up with a trip that was just disappointing because yeah you want to do that one right (laughs) you don't want to wheel that was on one side or the other of the andes not right not in a low valley in the middle of it so no matter where you go to the coastal rainforest to look for annulatus or the interior to look for emeralds you have to fly over you have to fly over the andes mountains in either direction (laughs) and there's no real good road network it's not a lot of infrastructure so i'm definitely doing that trip but maybe that's next year so we're Switched up and we're going to Southeast Asia. Oh, cool. Cool. Nice. So, nice. we're going to go yeah, to Vietnam, Thailand, maybe Malaysia. Cool. Uh, so, we're going to find a python territory. in the wild that's not Australian python. <laughs> yeah. Go hey, find I'm, a rejig or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm headed to Costa Rica, so I'll be looking for. Uh, yeah, when are you going to Costa Rica? In a in a couple weeks, <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> so we're all going. Yeah, yeah. I'll 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 be here. Sorry, I'm, I'm would... staying here. <laughs> well, you're married, as you said. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. stay here in Pennsylvania, and I will cry. I just, so that's fine. I, cannot, I say this yeah. all the time, and I say it, it sounds like a broken record, but people have got to get out and travel and do yeah. and see this stuff. Hundred mm-hmm. like, percent. If there's anything you could, I could impart on people, it's like get off your butt and go. Just go. Make it happen. Yep. Go to Australia or the Amazon or wherever it is, and just and see these places and experience that firsthand. And it's it's an amazing experience, and it's a huge world, and most of it's not here. Mm-hmm. There's all these yeah. amazing places, but you gotta you gotta put in some effort to get there. And it, once you do that, it it just changes your whole perspective on everything, on your own life, your own country, the world, life itself, everything. It's very. Uh, it's yeah, it's life, it's life affirming and life changing. And to not do that, I just can't imagine not doing that. I, I wish I would have done like it sooner. After the book, actually, yeah. like, get out and, and see this stuff. Yeah. Yep. And even if you just get out in your backyard too, I mean, there's, like, yeah, there's plenty you can go of herping stuff. in all the yeah. other places. I had yeah. fun herping in the U.S. when we couldn't leave it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that was exactly. <laughs> I maybe have a greater appreciation. Mm. I've lived in the same house for 20 years, and I just found out this summer accidentally with Ryan Young that there is a spot four minutes drive from my house that's crawling with rattlesnakes, rubber bears, yes. <laughs> like gopher snakes, toads. There's just all this stuff, and it's literally – I could ride my bike there. 
It's that close. Like I, I spent all summer, like every night it was warm. I'm like, I'm out. I'm like trying to rattlesnake like crazy. I'm like, how did I know, not know this was literally not my yeah. neighborhood, but pretty close to my neighborhood. Nice. No idea. Just went out there on a whim with Ryan after a trip to Seattle. It was like, oh, it's about the right time to go herping. We should go check it out. Like, about like eight rattlesnakes in one night. It was just the craziest thing. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And I live in a pretty bad place to go herping. There's not a lot around where I'm at. And even I, if you get out there, you'll find stuff. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree more. I wish I would have did it sooner, but, you know, you can't change the past. You just do what you do now. So that's it. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Thanks, thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah. And talking about the book. Appreciate it. Um, we'll pencil you in 11 years from now for the next copy or for whatever <laughs> else is going on. Somebody and, else uh, write the next one. Yeah. <laughs> By then, Eric will be on some. Eric's going to be in an iron lung and we'll have to hold the mic for him. And yeah, it'll be, yeah. you know, I'll have be some great. gray in here. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Well, uh, I guess we will. Uh, so uh, your websites, right? InlandReptile.com is where you'll find the book from you and Australian Addiction Reptile. Reptile or Reptiles? I always forget. AustralianAddiction.com. Is okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Congratulations uh, for your great job on the book. And uh, yeah. I know Carpet Python enthusiasts will love it. Uh, I promise. So. And we we won't bug you for at least a month about what the next book is going to be. So yeah, thirty <laughs> days from now. Yeah. So when, yeah. there you go. I tend, to, I tend to get most of my writing done once I start to stop feeding snakes and go into cycling mode for the breeding season because when you stop feeding them so much, they stop crapping all the time. Right, you're, you're not cleaning them. all the time. Yeah. The water barely even evaporates. It's like nothing is kind of not doing anything. So your maintenance, and by that point, all the babies are usually eating. I'm not doing that. And a lot of them are gone. And so you guys mm-hmm. have a little bit of a lull. And I try to get stuff accomplished in that kind of like a January, February, March before things start ramping up again. So. Okay. Cool. cool. I'm sure we'll all be right. talking uh, soon. And uh, yeah. Thanks again, guys. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, guys. So uh, I guess, Eric, now we must run through the closing thingies and then we can end the show. Or what do you want to do? Just leave? Say goodbye, everybody? No. (laughs) We can can put the closing thingies out. uh, We have to tell the people. Because I didn't put the closing thingies out when it was me and Nipper. Right. Um, Which, thank you for the shout out. I did play that for Melissa, the beginning parts of that. I didn't listen to the whole episode yet. Um, But. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I'm like, look, Nipper, Nipper, and Eric shouted us out. So on my own yes. show. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Yes. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, let's see. So I'll just give a real quick NPR network update of what's going to go on because I won't be here for about yeah, two he's weeks. Gone and he, right? he holds all the passwords. Two weeks. Oh, right. two weeks. So, yeah, basically yeah. two weeks. Right? I mean, it's you gonna... should probably uh, Lucas and I can probably do a carpets and coffee in the meantime, just to you know. Yeah, you could do that. We could do that. Yeah, sure. Lucas, yeah, you, you can trust Lucas and I to at least I do one or two shows. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> While you're gone, you'll have to do live shows. Yeah, for well, sure. It, um, we can do live shows. That's fine. There's um, a reptile fight club coming yep. out. Um, there is an Australian herp. Herpticulture podcast coming out. Obviously, if you're listening to this, 
uh, via podcast, you know that this came out. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then the following week, uh, probably nothing except in, unless Owen and I'll, Lucas I'll do, do some live, live stuff. Yeah, I'll try to do a live show, one or one or two shows. They kind of they won't have any topics. It'll just be Lucas and I shooting the shit, but it'll be something to bridge the gap until you guys sure. get back. Um, also, I'll be working on the calendar stuff. When you get back, yep. we'll do your show on your trip, and then uh, we'll probably just roll right into the calendar after that. We also have Warren Booth coming on because Warren Booth was the he he was involved Genetics in writing yeah. uh, some of the uh, of the some of the chapters in mm-hmm. uh, the complete carpet. So we're, we're chatting with him to about that. The book tour, yeah, uh, yeah, have to for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, we have. Oh, what else do we have? Uh, I have a couple other people lined up. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but yes, we have the calendar. We didn't really do an anniversary show, but this is sort of uh, eleven years. Woohoo! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, we're gonna have plenty to talk about for the next. Well, and it's like, bit. and here's the thing: we're 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 steaming. People don't realize it that like. It's very quickly rapid succession. Like we we have a couple of shows, and all of a sudden we're going to be right into the point of holiday show and holiday then, show. Yeah, you know that's it. So yes. we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. We're like, oh, wait, what? One, two, three, four, five, six weeks away from from the holiday show. Jeez. I have a lot of grievances this year. People. I mean, I there's a whole goddamn <laughs> list right now. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we got we got a breeding season episode that we do every we year. Every That's year gonna we come gotta up. talk about that. Which um, I don't even I don't even know what's going on. With my yeah, but I was gonna, my we'll talk about that when I get back. Just got torpedoed. <laughs> like it just yeah. Um, and uh, what's the other? What, there's there's something else. Uh, oh, the uh, Trey from uh, uh, Cold Blooded Caffeine oh, yeah. Company yeah. has uh, officially uh, worked up the logo. He's shipping it off to get the the bags done, and then the coffee will be coming uh, soon. The NPR blend. Yeah, it's pretty Great. cool. So we got that going on. Uh, so we'll be we'll be talking about that soon. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, I find some carpet pythons to come back and talk about. If you don't, you failed some, me as a some monitors. Uh, okay. Yeah. Remember, I, if you're fast, I, fast enough, monitors can be tricky and and rather sharp. So make yes. sure you grab them correctly, otherwise, it will hurt you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and I'll I'll have to send you when we get off of here. I will have to send you the pictures. Rob just did a um a real oh, did he do his did his pre pre trip? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there he did a real quick to Justin's point, what he was saying yeah. earlier, that he did a recap of um what people have put on iNaturalist as right. of, like the past In couple the areas of weeks. that you're going to. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Oh, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, you you have to the problem yeah. is, is that so Melissa and I are going on our honeymoon next year, 2023. You cannot okay. let him if he starts talking about the Kimberly, you need to smack him and say that we're going to Southern Australia in 2023. 2024 is for the Kimberly, okay? Yes. I Thank got you. you. Very so good. Can't, don't do this to me. <laughs> yes. I, I won't do it to you. I promise. I promise. Thank you. All right. Okay. Uh, as we talk, I'm gonna forward. Uh, forward. There it is. It's going um, to NPR network. And there will be a Carpet Fest announcement at the holiday show. Yeah, 
We did yeah. talk about that at your wedding a little bit. We did. Um, yeah, yeah, we did. It was my father who, who yelled at us. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah, he, he was very upset at he the was very lack upset. of carpet yeah. fest going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, where do, you, where do you see these coastal carpets, man? Oh, Jesus. <sighs> You're going to love it. No, uh, I'm not. No, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. Holy <sighs> shit, they're gorgeous. But this for the last one I'm going to send you is I think the icing on the cake is just a beautiful. And, and and you guys are going to is this Brisbane or where are you guys going again? Was it Cape flying through? into Brisbane? Okay, we're going to stop off at a couple spots on our way up as soon as we land. Yeah, so we're going to check out the Australia Zoo. Obviously, we're on the way, so we got to do that. And then uh, we're going to the place which is like a. Ooh, I think it's like a six or seven hour drive. Um, and then, um, yeah, we're going to be at this That's freaking gorgeous. amazing. You see them? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Look at all the dots. Like I hit, I hit um, one of the pictures and it shows all the dots. There's a fuck ton <laughs> of these things. Yes. Oh, God. I hope I see a whole bunch of them. Jesus man. Christ. Yeah. Just for yeah. that, I'm gonna go like wander around my backyard and hopefully find <laughs> something. Like, yeah. oh my god, I need to do a herping like thing. I need to do something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So NPR, that's sort of what's going on with the yep. network for the couple of weeks. Uh, that's where it's at. So if you're wondering where we're at, I know it's been kind of crazy as of late, but now Owen's wedding is past us. After this trip is past us, then we'll be back. Back to business as usual. Right. Um, so for us, MarinePetlandRadio.com is where you can find us. All the information is there. Follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yep. Um, we have, uh, we're, we're going to be working on the calendars. So once they're all done and ready to go, uh, we will be, uh, starting orders for that. <clears throat> and, um, if you want to get in touch with us, info at MarinePetlandRadio.com. Yep. And we got Teespring the Teespring stores. store yep. still up. And then uh, also we have the Patreon, which um, I guess when I come back, we'll do a thing. We'll for do that. a, we'll do, yeah. a uh, we'll do a uh, Patreon stream for that. We'll do like a, we'll share pictures or I'll, I'll just yeah, we'll videos do I have or something of the trip and stuff. Yeah. Like we'll so. do something. Cause uh, Eric is going to have a GoPro strapped to his head. So we'll have Eric vision the entire trip, which would be a it lot of be, chest down from a lot of people. Yeah. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, the yeah. best, but it's yeah. what we got. So yeah, I had the to raise my chair extra high. You know <laughs> what I mean? So that uh, I'm even with you because it's, it's been for a long time that I'm usually like, like you know, <laughs> way down low. Uh, but, uh, they had the one picture of us at the uh, at my my wedding where I'm like, I got my hand over your shoulder and like you come right up here, and I'm like, I'm very glad that now I'll have photograph and fancy evidence of how how tall you are. So yeah, yeah, I, I think know. that was forced perspective or it something. Was, it I'm was like, a slight shit. Am I really? The- <laughs> like what the. It was a, it was a, it was a ramp. Everybody is just, right. You just, it was a ramp, and you happened to be just a little bit further down, and it was just perfect. So I'm like, yep, take the picture. Let's go, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm only two foot two. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. Oh my god, he's been right this whole time. <laughs> it's good <laughs> stuff. All, All right. right, right on. I will see you in uh, ten days. 
Have a good trip, man. Have fun and uh, send pictures. Right on. All right. Bye, everybody. See you.